Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Nashy Cast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And I will now talk with strange pauses between <laughs> every Shatnerian phrase. <laughs> and you will understand. No, I'm sorry, I can't do that anymore. I'll, I'll drive myself insane. Captain. <laughs> I am Kirok. No. Uh, <laughs> it is a crappy night here in Nashville. It's a rainy, slimy, scummy night, and we are really glad to be doing something yeah. involving Paul Nashie because there's a lot of bizarre storms in the film we'll be discussing. Yeah. yeah, you don't really see him, but you sure hear him. And <laughs> yeah, the, the the fake light lightning yeah. flashes. The you know where yeah. they they obviously yeah. are just. You know, shining a light on somebody and pretending yeah. that it's lightning. Uh, at any rate, this is episode 13. But you'll uh, find that's the least of our concerns this movie tonight, isn't it? Yeah. Tonight we talk about Fury of the Wolfman, also known as The Wolfman Never Sleeps. And boy, is there a lot to talk about with this film. It really is. It really is. Uh, we are lucky. We were lucky. I, I guess that's the right word. Yeah. We were lucky. <laughs> yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> to have uh, two different versions of the film to watch. We have the Spanish language cut with some really good subtitles. Mm -hmm. And we also have the quote-unquote British cut of the film, which is the longer cut of the film, which is essentially the exact same movie under the title Fury of the Wolfman. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, it's under the title, the British cut is under the title of uh, Wolfman Never Sleeps, right. and it is basically the exact same movie just with the alternate nude scenes in mm -hmm, it that mm -hmm. uh, the Sp Spanish language cut does not have. Right. Interesting that, uh, I, I, it's been a while since we watched one where we had the two different versions to compare so that we could see the unclothed versus the clothed scenes, and it was right. it was kind of fascinating to see that because I watched, unlike you, I watched the clothed version first. And then watched the unclothed version, and you did it in did reverse. The opposite. Right, right. So, um, gonna be gonna be interesting to yeah. talk about those few scenes where there is nudity because, they strangely enough, they add they 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 add yeah. something. They add a little something to the story in some cases. You know, it's not just a not just a matter of adding nudity, well, in, but in some in, cases they yeah. change things a little bit, or at least throw out more imponderables. <laughs> well, throw out more imponderables, and at least well, at least in two two spots, it adds an actual reason for characters to be doing something yes, that they're doing. It, it gives some a, a little depth to why certain mm. choices are made. Yeah. Anyway, Fury of the Wolfman. Uh, now, here's the strange thing, people. It's supposed to be, it was either a, a 1970 film or a 1972 yeah, film, depending on who you're paying attention there. to. What we think is the 1970 uh, uh, release date is really when it was made and originally released. We think the 1972 date that you'll see online, like on the Internet Movie Database, mm. is probably the release year that it came to the United States. Mm. There's a lot of U.S.-centric information on IMDb. So yeah. I think February 2nd, 1972, is actually the release date in the States. That's probably more, more the case. Um, so what we think, what we think the chronology is that uh, uh, he made Mark of the Wolfman, then he made the 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 film that supposedly was never finished or has never been proven to have been finished, uh, Knights of the Knights Wolfman. Knights of the Wolfman, yeah. Then if you, I guess uh, we were we were we were debating a little bit before we started the show. Is Assignment Terror? Uh, Assignment Terror would be yeah. Would definitely if you want be to fit that, that into the the Waldemar Daninsky, uh if you want to fit that in the chronology, it would be the the third, and then this we're assuming is the fourth. It's Fury of the Wolfman. This is yeah. the one he made right before he made his landmark uh, film, The Shadow, the Werewolf Shadow. Interesting that it falls there. the The thing is, this is a film. This particular film, Fury of the Wolfman, is definitely one that Nashi had no kind words for at any point in his life. He had a lot of bad things to say about it, and you know, now that we've seen the movie, we kind of understand that. But the thing is, 
one of the things that I always love to do is we have this um, wonderful resource, the um, the vi the videos issue from um, the early 90s with the interview where he goes through each one of his films and, and talks about each one of them, the ones the big ones and the small ones. And uh, I, I wanted to uh, kind of pull a reversal. Generally, when I um, pull out this magazine and, and read some of his words directly from it, I'm doing it after we've talked about the movie, right. but actually I want to read this first yeah, and kind of idea. use his comments to frame our conversation about sure. the movie. Sure. I think it's I think it's very enlightening. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of stuff you need to keep in mind when you are watching the film, you know. And he's he's asked. Uh, I read somewhere that Fury of the Wolf Man suffered twenty minutes of cuts, and that was the reason why footage from the Mark of the Wolf Man had to be used as padding. Is there more to the story than just that? And uh, Mr. Nashy says, the story behind the Fury of the Wolf Man is so absurd that it's difficult to comprehend for me as well. I wrote this film with the intention that it would be directed by Enrique Lopez Iguerles. I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name again. The, the <laughs> man, know, something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Who had helmed the first film in the series. Uh, that would have been Mark of the Wolfman, a.k.a. Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Right. As a matter of fact, the opening superimposed Tibetan scenes were filmed by him. All of a sudden, the producers, the same ones who had produced the Mark of the Wolfman, discharged him and replaced him with Jose Maria Zabalaz. I recall I called them to question them about this change, but they told me that I shouldn't worry. That Zabalaz was a great director. Uh, I'm sorry, Zabalza. 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 I'm going to mispronounce his name, <laughs> no matter what I do. Zabalza was a great director, and there wouldn't be any problems at all. We began shooting, and what happened was that this gentleman, from the very moment that he arrived on the set, was completely drunk. What's more, he began rewriting the script, eliminating much of my role. I can tell you, it was one of the few times in my life that I've cried. Only with the death of my father and also that of a friend, but with this film, I came to cry out of helplessness for the tragedy of what this man had done to me. That included the impudence of shooting scenes without me. For example, those scenes of the wolfman walking along the street like a normal person, that is not me. And when the picture came out too short, he had the shamelessness to swipe excerpts from the Mark of the Wolfman and insert them into this film. That's why you see the wolfman going around dressed in black. Then all of a sudden he appears in white. The makeup was different. Ultimately, a disaster. This man crippled a film that could have been quite good. This is the most unfortunate title in my filmography. I've had very bad memories of it. It's a story of betrayals, of incompetent professionals, and it's a miracle it was completed. I thought it was never going to be finished. The last anecdote I can tell you is also amazing. Once the film was completed, a private screening was arranged for a potential distributor. When this man arrived in his car, his headlights focused on a guy urinating in the street. The distributor asked who it was and was informed it was the director of the film, whereupon the man left without ever seeing the screening. As you can see, this film has quite a story of its own. <laughs> yeah, that definitely frames very well what we're about to, to delve into here. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a reason I thought it would be a good idea to go ahead yeah. and, and read his words and his comments about his disappointments with this mm -hmm. particular film before we get into it. Mm -hmm. I will say, I understand his disappointments. I sympathize with, the dis with his disappointments. But there are some good things. There's some there are some salvageable things in the movie. There are. There so... Are. As we go through the film, I think I think it'll be my my point of view to try to point to the yeah. happy spots. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do. I'll try and help you too. You know, to 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 see if we can find a 
a few little uh, a few <laughs> little moments there in the in the overall insanity that uh, I don't think it's impossible to no, find some no, good moments no. there, but it's um, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. So, all, all right. right, folks, we're ready. I uh, hope you're ready too. Uh, fasten your seatbelts on and. <laughs> Fury of the Wolfman. Hang on to your chemotrodes. We're about to jump into Fury of the Wolfman. <laughs> Pentacle. Pentagon. 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 Oh, yeah, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Enjoy your evening to the fullest. How about some snowy, crisp, and crunchy popcorn? That's a fine way to relax. Just sit and munch contentedly while you enjoy the show. Bring enough popcorn back for the whole family. Everyone likes popcorn. And now mom and dad want a cup of good, satisfying coffee. That's the kind we serve, full of flavor and satisfaction. As I said, I started with, and the reason I say that up front is that I started with the Spanish version, mm-hmm. and the Spanish version starts with a quote mm-hmm. that is not in the English language dub at all. Right. This is the, the, I mean, right off the bat, you've got to change a difference here. And uh, the difference is this quote is, is said over the opening scene, uh, kind of the, the beginning, right at the beginning of the film. And uh, it's it's a pretty neat little quote that harkens back to the uh, the, the bit of poetry in uh, the Wolfman, the nineteen forty one Wolfman. The whole mm. thing about you know uh, even a man who's who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night. Mm. Well, here we have a different one, and I will recite it for you. When the sun sets beyond the distant mountains and the full moon glows in the night, some place on earth a man becomes a wolf. No, that's the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. It is. Sets, sets the mood. Nice set. Yeah, it does. Uh, and then the film begins with uh, Nashi uh, on his way, being driven somewhere, some, from someplace to another place. This is all under the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, intercut with him um, looking, looking through uh, some book as he's driven uh, out into the countryside to his home slash estate. Mm-hmm. A couple things we should state up front. Much like uh, Mark of the Wolfman, and I do believe Assignment Terror as well, this film was shot very wide, shot mm-hmm. uh, 235 in uh, Technoscope. Not something that would happen a lot in his later films. Right. Generally, they weren't shot as wide, but it, it's interesting because it's just another point of it's another point that tells you this film should be better than it is because well, they, yeah. they were taking that they were taking the time to shoot it this yeah. way. He had some budgets to work with in his early you know his early films. He had some fairly fairly reasonable budgets anyway on on some of his seventies early seventies stuff. Um, now on these credits here. Uh, I assume when we get those flashes of these of old paintings and things, these are supposed to be what he's seeing in in his book, I guess. I think um, so, but we're really not, not given really, that information. Yeah, exactly. We see a couple. I think Goya. I think there may be one. I of think his, the Go- his Goya movie. Goya paintings and and um, it might have been some Bosch. I don't know. It, it, I'll be honest. I didn't pick up on that the first yeah. time. I thought they were throwing it in there just to try and set the mood for the film. And then yeah, finally, I, I started too. to put together. Okay, I think maybe this is what he's supposed to be looking at in this book. But uh, it's never really clear. It's never really clear. You'll hear us say that a lot in this show. <laughs> 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 oh, you are so right. So he uh, he arrives at his home at the at the estate. It looks like a like a country estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, wa- walks in his wife, who's been there waiting for him. Uh, waiting for him. Her name is Erica. She seems very thrilled that he's returned, uh, and we very quickly are given the information that he's been away on a trip and uh, was injured in some kind of blizzard, and, and an avalanche occurred. And uh, he's the only member of the entire party that survived, even though he was injured. And what I find amazing about this is we get all this information fairly quickly, and then they're just immediately all over each other, like you know, mm-hmm. like humping rabbits. <laughs> and um, yeah, what, he's like, "I'm the only survivor. Everybody with me died. Let's uh, come on, baby. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Sex and death." You know? 
there's a there's a there, there's a storm raging that during this whole sequence, or you know the mm-hmm. fake movie storm that we talk about often. We quickly cut to them laying in bed. I mean, it's way it's too apparently, uh, not, uh, way too fast to cut. We've already, it's apparent we've skipped the the sex scene that's that's there, and she which isn't in either version. There actually wasn't doesn't appear to have been yeah. a, a sex scene filmed here. He gets up in the night. And experiences some flashbacks to what happened to him. And we see, now that he has his shirt off, we see this uh, five-sided scar on his chest. The typical pen- pentacle score or pentagram or pe- mm-hmm. pentacle. It's not a pentagram. It's a, it's a five-sided circle. It's mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a, a five-sided mark, a uh, scar mm-hmm. on his chest. Mm-hmm. And we see through these flashbacks a, uh, a Hindu man who, uh, who's nursing him after uh, whatever injury he had. Right. And the guy warns him that if uh, his injury leaves a pentacle or a pentagon or whatever they're going to call it because they right. call it they two different, about five different things. Different things yeah. uh, if, it leaves that, if it leaves that scar, he, he gives him this little metal box. He says, open this box and inside you'll find a cure for the illness that afflicts you. If after seven moons or seven months, mm-hmm. this hasn't happened, destroy the box without opening it. This is interesting because... It's very clear that there's a lot of what he's using here, the, the, these flashback scenes, um, because it takes place in Tibet. Tibet. Mm-hmm. They make it very clear that, they, that it right. takes place in Tibet, even though at one point in the English dub it's pronounced Tibet. <laughs> I have, uh, that, that was a maddening moment. Mm-hmm. At any rate, this is very much, he reused this uh, mm-hmm. idea for uh, Night of the Howling Beast, yeah, which, of course, he really kind of took from Werewolf of London yeah. as well. Very nice. Now, here's the strange thing. Uh, we can talk about this little metal box mm-hmm. right now because the more we bring it up in the future as we go through this film, the angrier I'm going to become because <laughs> the freaking metal box, we never ever find out what the hell was supposedly in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, Were we supposed to figure out somehow or another that the Tibetan scroll that she mentions at some point later on in the movie was somehow in that little bitty box, which is just not Maybe. possible? I mean, it's like maybe Tibetan snuff for all it we says, know. We have no idea what's in the there. ingredients that mm-hmm. you, is it, you, you... There's supposed to be some sort of herbs, or, herbs or something. Something. Yeah. Or <laughs> maybe just a silver bullet and load yeah. this into the gun that it fits into and pull it and pull a trigger. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Irritating. Well... In this flashback, Nashi uh, describes to the Hindu man the uh, the animal that attacked him, uh, but we're never shown we're never the shown attack. The we're never shown the animal that attacks him or the attack itself. It's interesting um, that he thinks it's a. He says it's, he says it must be a yeti. Yeah, which is a nice also foreshadowing. I mean, it's kind of nice after we've seen Night of the Howling Beast yeah. uh, to kind of connect those two. Is kind of fun. But uh, yeah, he's, he thinks it must have been a, a yeti. Uh, of course, the, the, the then he sh- also says, "Well, it may have, it must have been a hallucination." And the and the, the shaman's like, "Yeah, probably so." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's well, telling him, but he's he's trying, I think, trying to reassure him. He's like, "Yeah, you just go and believe, keep believing that." Well, what, one of the things that I love is that um, he, while he's you know delirious, he asks the Hindu guy uh, who's nursing him, "What about the others?" And the, this great quote in the Spanish version, it's a great quote. He says, "The mountain has devoured them." Yeah, which I think is nice. just. That's a great line. I just yeah, really like that. It is. If that's if that was mistranslated by whoever did the subtitles, just leave it the way it is. I was about to say because that sounds like pure Nashi right there. That yeah. sounds like something from the man's own lips. There, it sounds like that's one of his really sentiments nice. there. So yeah, I like that too. That's a good. And also this scene too is, um, you know, as, as you read in that little quote from uh, Nashi uh, in, in the interview uh, that um, originally Aguilas was was the director, and um, it was nice when I watched the movie and I saw these scenes because while he's in addition to these flashbacks of him talking to this um, 
shaman or the medicine man or whatever, he's he's also we also see superimposed over it vague scenes of this expedition and what happened, but it's very faint. You can't really see any details to the point that I was wondering if it was stock footage from something else that they were using of just and and, yeah. and, and in his interview he actually says that they did shoot those scenes, which once again lets you know the high aspirations the filmmakers originally or the producers, you know, the budget they put into this film. Obviously they had something to work with here when they started out with it because they actually did film these snowy scenes and of this expedition here, which you like I said again, you can't really see very well, but it's it's a nicely effective I like the way they use it in this scene here. That, it would uh, be fascinating to find out exactly why the producers decided to fire yeah. the director and change directors in midstream. Yeah. Um I I wonder did they lose a damn bet? I mean, was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, was it some kind of what was it a money consideration? Yeah. Did they get the, did they get the drunk for next to nothing? I was about to say, I was going to say maybe it sounded sound like Zavalza might have just been more fun to drink with or something. Maybe yeah, maybe possibly maybe he was blackmailing somebody. Who knows? Know. Uh, at any rate, we very quickly switch to the next scene, which is at the nearby college where. It turns out that our Valdemar Daninsky character mm-hmm. is a professor. Yes. This, by the way, uh, we're in Germany. Um, oh, yes. This, is de- this takes place in Germany. Our last two movies were in France. Uh, we are now in Germany because, uh, you know, again, we all know that nothing evil ever happens in Spain. So uh, Spain this, is, a, is an evil-free zone. Evil-free zone. So this time our story takes place in Germany. And, uh, yes, it's just university here in and uh, I, if you want to now, go ahead and address the fact that there's a lot of discrepancies in what these characters' names are throughout the film. It's maddening. Uh, well, only in the English language dub. Well, sure, yeah. yeah uh, and I was very, I was very, it was very easy to follow. The names stay the same in the Spanish mm-hmm. dub mm-hmm. or the, the Spanish version of the film, but in the English, the English language dub, holy crap! <laughs> so I wanted to bring it up now because uh, I think that Paul Nash's character is called uh, alternately Walter. Or Walterman, which is obviously which makes no sense. Now they keep the Daninsky last name, but to my I think but they mispronounce it. But they mispronounce it. So I think really for ease for the ease of it, we're just going to keep calling him Valdemar because that's obviously who he's supposed to be. Yeah. So just uh, just for the ease of it, I think well, we'll like, go forward. Just like I said, him, going through the yeah. Spanish version first was the easiest thing for me because I know it's a Daninsky film, right? And he's called Valdemar Daninsky throughout the entire movie, so it was it was a fairly simple thing. So yeah. when, when I first started, I had heard. Mm-hmm. Rumors of this. So when I start watching, I'm like, oh, so okay, they, they've just decided to call him Walter. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they call him Waldo. Waldo, I saw that. Waldo. And Walterman. Walterman. And, yeah. and it's very, you understand why they said they decided to go with Walterman because, you know, the dubbers are it's trying to match the lip exactly. movements, and Walter has too few syllables. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to slap an extra, they, they, they slap two man syllables. on the end of yeah. Walter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, two syllables. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I don't remember a syllable. <laughs> I remember a fatted calf. A fatted calf. It was quite a sensible animal, as I remember. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. If you haven't seen Black Adder, you're just sitting there saying, what in the hell are they talking about? I know, about? I know. So, I, okay. I, for, forget, forgive me. People, <laughs> trust me, before there was a television show in America called House, there was a very funny man who did the show Black Adder. And you should really pay attention. Anyway, back to where we were. Which is, okay, the names are all messed up, and there are going to be times when I'm going to draw attention to the fact that, once again, we've name-shifted just for the sheer hell of it. But, yeah. Yep. Uh, in this co- in this college campus, we're first introduced to. Uh, speaking of the names, names, yes. Okay, she's Doctor Elman in the Spanish version, Ilona Elman. Ilona Elman. Uh, but she has a different name in the English dub. Well, for half of it, it's for a, half of it, it starts true. off Doctor Anderson uh, with two S's because this was actually taken from a Swedish. Uh, the the subtitles are in Swedish on the, so it's obviously taken from a videotape release in Sweden. Yeah. 
But anyway, her name is Dr. Anderson. Then about halfway through the film, it changes back to Dr. Almond and Almond. maybe Almond. Yeah. So, so uh, once again, maybe we should just call her Ilona. It might be the easiest thing to do. <laughs> I just call I call her Doc or Doc yeah, Ilona or yeah. We can call her by her real name when we get to the the, the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, but um, she is uh, giving a lecture there with her uh, teaching assistant, Karen, by her side. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's talking some crazy crap that, I'll be honest, in this scene, you, you just kind of ignore because it just seems like gibberish. Well, I had to run it back. Have you? <laughs> it makes it makes very little sense. Well, my, I love the opening line, and in fact, I ran it back about three or four times to see is is the first thing you see her in her lab. And by the way, uh, one of the things I love about this woman is that she teaches her classes wearing dark, cool European sunglasses, which just, you know, which I know in, in every scene in every where scene, she's teaching, she's, she's for why, why is like, I don't know. She's never I mean, have they been staring at, they've been like staring into, you know, into bright, you know, into, into like harmful lights or, I mean, we my, never know. Why, know but my, just, my, my suspicion, <laughs> having watched the movie a couple of times now, is she's wearing these glasses so that she can stare just at the crotches of every member of the of the class without drawing attention to the fact that all she can hey, see is groin. That so. works for me because it just I just cracks me up that she does that. <laughs> she does that. The only it's the only time in the movie that she wears sunglasses, but it's always when she's teaching no. her classes. But no, her first line I wish I'd written it down word for word. But as the as we open on the the classroom, she says. And so we conclude from our studies that you can create a human zebra. I swear. <laughs> You can create a human zebra by, you know, controlling the the hypothalamus or the brains. You know, she it's I swear and I ran it back about four times I said that can't be what she said. She said she can't be saying human zebra. But actually even in the Spanish she even in that uh, with the subtitles it actually says human zebra that's what she's saying and I'm sitting there thinking <laughs> that is the greatest opening line of any mad scientist I've ever heard <laughs> yeah so. yeah I like I say it's best to not pay too much attention to whatever gibberish she spills in her opening scene here because it makes no damn sense yeah the basic basically to cut to the chase is she's very very interested in controlling people's minds and I love the way through this whole film she just talks about it so casually and openly in front of everybody and nobody ever like nobody seems well, the, well a few only, people do but then well, they only, always, only really Karen seems yeah. to and she's seems to have been around it for a long period of time yeah. and only now it's starting to dawn her you know that might not be too cool uh, yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah so anyway so yes this woman is uh, so anyway this is basically the the the, uh, the focus of her research is that she is is, is learning my, she is learning how to manipulate and control the brain all for the good of humanity um, yeah all for good of humanity we, we, we also see uh, Valdemar who's uh, back in the classroom he appears to be uh, so, some kind of uh, apparently a genius Surgeon, genius surgeon of some, some kind sort. of some sort of uh, he's, wor- he's working with a class on a cadaver mm-hmm. and um it's obvious he's a little overtired he ends the class early mm-hmm. and uh calls in the good uh, the good dr elman or allman or whatever mm-hmm. we're going to call her elona dr elona i'll go with elona to uh talk to her because he's starting to he is starting to feel this illness since he's returned from tibet and he wants right. to consult with her about it he Gives her the little box, and she looks inside it, the little box that the, the Hindu man gave her, mm-hmm. gave him, mm-hmm. and he, she looks in it, and once again, we're never sure what the hell's in it. No, we don't have a no. clue. We don't know. Mm. Like I say, yeah. she mentions this Tibetan scroll later on. I'm like, yeah. we're, I, I think we're supposed to assume yeah. the Tibetan scrolls, and it's, it's like there were supposed to be insert shots of them with some of somebody's hand holding this box and a piece of paper inside it or something. But we've never seen, we've ne- we never see it. She, she basically says, "I'll work on you." She says, "I'll take it. You know, I'll, I'll look into it." And now yeah, he wants yeah. to and, it, and it's obvious there's a romantic history between mm-hmm. Valdemar and the good Doctor Ilona here. So. He's leaving campus. A, fe- a fellow hands hands off a letter to him saying that this came this came earlier and I just, I was only able to get it to you now. Mm-hmm. Here you go. 
as he's walking to his car after getting the letter, Karen comes up to him. Uh, that's it. That's the good Dr. Ilona's uh, assistant and wants to talk to him briefly uh, with her concerns about uh, the good Dr. Allman's uh, Yeah, she's starting to get worried about all this. Yeah. She's she's got a few qualms about her research, creating and, human zebras and all this. Sort of <laughs> creating human zebras. You think they meant zombies? See, I almost wondered if she was saying if it was a mispronunciation of cyborg, if she was saying zeborg and, and meaning cyborg, human cyborg. But I, I, you know, I promise you, it's it's subtitled anyway on the Spanish version. It says human zebra, so yeah, I can't yeah. think that. Now I keep thinking that can't possibly be what they meant, but somehow or another the people who dubbed and subtitled it—that's what it came off to—is well, them. So. Zebras is nonsensical, but then there are so there are so many sections <laughs> of this movie that are nonsensical as we go along, anyway. <laughs> yeah, basically, as you'll find, folks, you know, the, some of the things that are discussed in this film make like Star Trek psycho or, or techno babble, you know, seem like you know, t- <laughs> seem, seem like totally seem, feasible. Yeah, seem absolutely. You yeah. know, you you know, yeah, the positron <laughs> flow. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> But she just she she Karen speaks briefly to him about thinks she might be trading into dangerous territory and I love his line where he says uh, he says she's only trying to save mankind through science and Karen's <laughs> like okay thanks for reassuring me I'm I'm cool with it now yeah 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 uh, I think Karen's obviously smitten by the doctor too or by Daninsky too and so basically all she yeah, had to yeah, do she, is hear she, she basically says now that I hear from you. She says, now that I hear from you, I'm reassured. And, but we'll, we'll hear that excuse several times through the film is, uh, I'm only doing it for science. Yeah, I'm only, it's a, this is for science. Uh, <laughs> Go he, back he, on your head and do it for science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, think, lie back and think of, think of England. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, <laughs> he goes and gets in his car and cracks open the letter. Now, before we get to the letter, I'd just like to say, he is rocking the gray sideburns in this film. He is, he is. It's, it's, uh, full, full, full masculine head of hair and the, mm-hmm. the gray sideburns supposed to give him, it's supposed to make him make look older than he is. Probably give him that scientific yeah. look there and all that professor. Well, professor I, th- I think also the idea was he, I think they're wanting him to, he's, he's, he's apparently trying to play an act, a, a character who's roughly 10 years older than he yeah, is at I this point. So too, yeah. I think the, the whole gray sideburns mm-hmm. it, it was the, was their way of kind of look, making him look a little older. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. He, he cracks open the letter and the letter is a note explaining to him that his wife is cheating on him. Mm-hmm. That, um, she she's uh, having an, she's carrying on an affair with one of your students, and I uh, believe uh, the the note actually names the student. Yeah, his name is Neville. And uh, while he's sitting there reading this, getting more and more upset, we we see that there's some man watching him read this thing from a window from a window yeah, right. across the street. Mm-hmm. When when Valdemar like crumples up the letter and drives away, and you know in in anger, this guy then calls. The wife. Yeah, yeah. And the he appears. Calls Erica. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's he's apparently the wife's lover, mm-hmm. adulterous lover. He, he explains to her it's been done. He's read he's read it, uh, and the and and the brakes have been tampered with. Yeah, and uh, he he just flat out says it. Yeah, right yeah, there on the phone. I mean, come on, man. And he talks about you know, and she's not, she uh, isn't like doesn't appear immediately overjoyed to hear that he's actually gone through with this. And now she yeah, seems, she seems, even has she to seems say prob- she seems worried about this whole yeah, situation. Yeah, so. and he's basically you know, no, this is what we had to do. It's the only way. I like his total confidence, just assuredness that Voldemort is going to be killed in this apparently yeah. wreck that they're planning. Like, you know, there's no way he can survive. So, yeah. And, and he says, well, you know, we'll meet in the usual place. Which turns out to be a greenhouse. Yeah, which turns out to be a greenhouse. So next we see uh, Erica meeting her lover in the greenhouse. And we see Nashi driving home and uh, the brakes obviously failing and the car going out of control and crashing into a tree. Mm-hmm. And this is intercut with Erica and her lover petting on each other and talking. And I, I love the I love the I love the line the lover has, which is, 
we have to concentrate on being happy as, you know, we're seeing the car <laughs> crash into the tree. Despite the fact that we just murdered a man. We just, 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 we just murdered your husband. We, did we, it need, for to, science, we need to concentrate. Science, <laughs> We've done it for science. <laughs> that, that, should be, that should be my line for everything. I screw up, I screw up something at work or, you know, yeah. you accidentally ram into somebody with your car and break their leg. This was I was doing this for science. Yeah, it's, You've got to understand. As, yeah. This we're getting more information about things like this. From, it, it, yeah, it works as well as I'm on a mission from God. You know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, really. So. I'm on a mission from God. That's why we do these podcasts is for science. By the way, so, it's it, it's true that the Nashi cast is a scientific experiment. Yes, it is, ladies and gentlemen. God save us all. <laughs> but well, Valdemar has survived the crash. Yes, and yes. he crawls out of the car and crawls away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next scene we have between. Is between Karen and Wilhelm, and we'll see a bit more of Wilhelm as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. He obviously is, has been trying to talk her into marrying him, you know, leaving school, marrying him, and and them setting up setting up house and having kids in the whole nine yards. And she's kind of been resistant to this for a good long while. It appears, although she does, she does appear that she really does have a lot of affection for him. She spells out that she she's busy right now. She wants to complete her doctorate before she gets serious with him, and uh, Wilhelm lays out that he really doesn't trust the good Dr. Ilona at all and, and mm. doesn't really like the fact, you know, it's, it, it's, it's obvious that this whole thing kind of chafes at him because he's in love. He wants to, he wants to marry her and she's mm. putting him off until she finishes her, her degree, which, you mm. know, now we, we see Valdemar stumble home. Yeah. Well, there's a quick clip of, don't forget the, just a quick of clip of where, of the police investigating where he's left his car. And no, 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 that's we, not yet. Oh, is that not yet? No, no, no. We see Wal- Valdemar get home first. Oh, and then it does the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, he, he gets home first and calls out for his wife mm-hmm. and he's bloody and disheveled. And, you know, his right. clothes are all screwed up. He looks like hell. Of course he just was in a car crash, but his, uh, he, he's calling out for her. She, she's not home. And then we see the cops have found the car. They're remarking about it being a strange accident because there's no body. Where you know where did this guy mm-hmm. go? Nobody's reported this. We you know nobody reported this. And when we get here, where well, there's no fucking there's no car. Yeah. Well, the inspector who we've uh, come to know is as who we will come to know is Miller. Uh, inspector Miller. He uh, yeah. yeah he makes a mention. He says there's he says there's a murderer here, so there must be a victim. At least he says that in the in the version in the. Which, yeah, because I wrote yeah. down here WTF because I was like, how right. does he? But I'm assuming they must have seen that They're the talking brakes about are it. cut, so they must figure that it was well, a deliberate. Yeah, which means that they they've already so they've already quickly ascertained yeah. how the accident occurred. Right. Which seems incredibly fast. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a little ridiculous <laughs> to have made that jump. To yeah, that's why I was like, what lines. you know, and it's yeah. not they figured, but uh, yeah, because the scene starts with them talking about it being an accident, and literally two lines later, they're talking about there's a murderer. Yeah, so there must be a really? victim, and says, okay, whatever. But anyway, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so um, then we see that Valdemar has has stumbled to uh, Elona's apartment, mm-hmm. where she is dressing his wounds and talking to him. And it turns out that uh, the good old doctor and Karen live together, which is strange. (laughs) I didn't know you lived together. Yes, we keep each other company. I have to talk to you alone. Uh, I'll put away that medicine kit. Well, we're all alone now. Better tell me what you wanted to say. Eric has been cheating. The accident was all fixed. It's what they wanted. I suppose in saying they, you're referring to your dear wife and her lover. You knew about it. The husband is always the last person to hear all the secrets. 
Walter, you've got to get a hold of yourself. I tell you she's not worth it. I don't want you to destroy yourself. It doesn't matter now. Her love was the only thing that gave me strength to fight against this battle that's kept raging. Now, Walter, listen to me. I swear to you, I'll operate and I can cure you. Can you really? Only you know my secret. For the sake of the love we had for each other. Please do it. Yes, I promise you. But you have to promise to act like a real man. Ilona, I thought you had gone to your room. No. I wanted to talk to you. You probably do. I suppose you've been listening. <gasps> I don't have to listen behind any walls to know that you've been disappointed by this man and that's why you're always so sad. Why don't you just admit it? <clears throat> oh, Karen. Oh, Karen, please forgive me. Yes. Gotta love that slap. That was a bitch slap, folks. And uh, that was definitely, okay, definitely a bitch slap. Let, let's talk that. about a few things here. Yeah. Um, first of all, they live together. Mm-mm. And it's it's obvious in this scene, we're getting the idea that they are lovers. Mm. We're not. They're not being overt. They're not right. spelling it out. But it seems pretty clear. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the slap and tickle piece there at the end, which is very strange. Yeah, but, and and yeah, well, just in, and and Ilona's whole 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 way she acts towards Karen is very much a, a kind of dominant sort of you know a domineering gonna, lover. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so my question then becomes. What the hell is the motivation? There's a confused motivation for the doctor here because mm-hmm. as the film progresses, we will see mm-hmm. that the thing driving her to do a lot of the stuff that she does is that she wants Valdemar. Right. And she wants him bad. And in the uncut version, the, the version with the nudity, we see her get herself all worked up and have sex with him. Well, at least the, with well, with El Umber, she, she maybe yeah. it's the, she wants some she wants some some part of him. Yeah, we're getting to some yeah. really kink. Uh, Ilona's uh, got some kinks going on there, and uh, she's yeah, you you ain't joking there. But <laughs> nevertheless, I'm assu- we're going to have to assume mm-hmm. that this woman is just a sexual predator of every yeah. type. Mm-hmm. She's bisexual mm-hmm. and essentially wants to dominate whoever she's having sex yeah. with, male mm-hmm. or female. Mm-hmm. So. That's, Maybe the whole reason why she's obsessed with controlling minds is <laughs> she just wants to have sex with everybody. I, I think. I, well, see, that's just it. Now, see, here's one of the she's been jilted. Things. She's obviously been jilted by Daninsky, so right. she doesn't like the word no. We know that she does not yeah, like hearing she's, no. She's not happy about that. And of course, as the film goes on, we find out just how obviously crazy it drove her to be yeah. jilted by him. But what I like, one of the things that I like about this film, yeah. I'm going to point out this yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, I like we this about to. this film. This is this is something very cool, which is that her plot. And her desire to control all her work about mm-hmm. her desire to be able to control people mm-hmm. plays very easily and very perfectly into this if you, this very careful look at her sexuality and her way of dealing sexually with other people this this yeah. dominance this yeah, desire yeah. to control yeah no. so those that actually mm-hmm. that's actually pretty yeah, damn good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I was very yeah, and she's a very interesting character. I mean, I really enjoyed her character a lot in this. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As 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 evil lunatic, bisexual, it's, it's crazy, crazy people. She, she's awesome. Go, she's, yeah, yeah. I would yeah, yeah. As those people go, I would have her as a neighbor. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I, I if I if I had a big fence. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'd be keeping an eye on Flex though. So. <laughs> you're really your cat. Hey, the cats might be go missing. I don't know. Yeah. She, she might want to turn some a cat into a zebra. <laughs> 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 All right, so uh, 
what what I love is is her her what I love is the doc saying to him that she's unworthy of you talking about talking about his wife. Oh yeah, really. That's... She's unworthy of you. Don't don't destroy yourself. <laughs> of course, he he's obviously in despair. Just you know, nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she intimates that that I'll help you. I'll operate on your brain. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I, I'll help you operate on your brain. Mm-hmm. I don't need that kind of help. <laughs> <laughs> if I have yeah. a tumor, okay, let's talk. Operate mm. on my brain. Otherwise, mm. Eh, mm. no. See, operating on my brain is not going to c- cure an unfaithful wife. Yeah, it's just not going to make me. I mean, unless you can carve mm. out the part that reminds me, mm. eh, yeah. unfaithful wife. I don't, I don't know. And and you know, as if being a cuckold isn't bad enough, and she's talking about operating on his brain, she's obviously, I guess, uh, metaphorically doing some snip snipping on other parts too. When she tells him that he has to be a man, she wants him to be a. <laughs> oh, I, to, oh, gotta I be know. a man about she, it. She admonishes people in this a few times in this movie to to kind of man up, yeah, which is yeah. really really <laughs> kind of strange. So then we go. I think uh, cuts back, into yeah, Erica back, right yeah, back where she's back in the house. Eric is home now. Eric is home now. There's a storm. Once again, a storm is raging uh, yes, outside. Yes. So, uh, servants have uh, uh, prepared dinner, and they asked to leave uh, to go home early to beat the storm. So they head out and. Uh, appears that the power is out in the house and they've gotten a call explaining that the power is probably going to be out until morning the phone rings and she she's just so tensed up that she uh knocks knocks over a can the candelabra and enter valdemar and i, I love this whole thing here you didn't expect me did you oh wow yeah this whole scene coming up is really unusual well, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> he, he confronts her and, and then says, I'm going to love you like I never have. <laughs> yeah. And I went, does that mean you're going to rape her? Is that what this is? Well, you know, next we cut to them just basically lying there side by side in the bed. In bed. She's fully clothed. Yeah, fully clothed. He's just sort of looking up at the ceiling. She's obviously, you know, this is like serious tension, serious discomfort land here, you know. It's what, they, what do I say to the husband that I thought was dead? He came home, so I had him killed again, and he comes <laughs> back home. And now he's lying here next to me in the bed and uh, just sort of staring strangely. Oh, and he says some more weird little things here, I think. Uh, I, he, he I, does, I didn't write him down, but he has yeah, some yeah. more strange dialogue here. Well, it's like, I, I love you even though you're unfaithful. And, yeah, and yeah. He, he talks about, basically he tells her, laying there in bed, that I, I, I love you mm-hmm. even though you know I should, I should want to kill you. I should want to mm-hmm. do something horrible to you. And then, of course, the full moon rises. Yeah. And laying there in bed next to his wife, he we have our first werewolf transformation, which is done completely with him just lying there. I mean, there's no yeah. this is not uh, this is not one of those frothing, writhing, snarling transformations. He basically yeah. just yeah. sits there and lays there and just changes right next to her while she watches. Very different from the yeah, uh, the usual yeah. Daninsky transformation and I, scene. I mean, it's actually kind of oddly effective in the scene. I mean, even if you try and put it, it works, it, it works. does. It's kind of a neat way to do it. I mean, we're so used to seeing the frothing, kind of painful change. The fact that he just lays there and just changes without moving is uh-huh. actually kind of a, in this within the confines of this story and this scene. It's effective, you know. It's it's, 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 it's kind of neat. So then he he does the old embrace, hug, rip out the neck thing on Erica. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he he rips her throat out, but it's it's kind of quiet. He does so quietly. Once again, no it's snarling. not very much violence. It's almost like an like I said, it is almost like an embrace. Like he's yeah. almost starting to make. It's almost like he's starting to make love to her. Uh, but then he then we realize that he's. He's ripping her throat out, but it's not a very violent scene. Yeah, it's weird because there's there's several shots of him kind of with his face buried in her neck and kind of worrying at it, like yeah. he's like he's tearing into it. But um, we we cut to outside of the house and the her lover shows up. Yeah, with his jacket held up over his head to, because it's raining. He comes into the house and doesn't get an answer. Comes upstairs and finds her laying there dead in the bed. 
I, I, at this point, I would say the werewolf attacks, but really, the werewolf just kind of walks up behind him, and yeah, it's almost, it's almost like he gra- yeah, exactly. It's almost like he's tapping him yeah. on the shoulder, <laughs> and then they, you know, he. And this is this is where you know you are definitely not in the right movie because the werewolf punches this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's here's. Um, yeah, you can tell this is not this is not uh, Paul Nashy directing this, and this is not yeah. Paul Nashy's ideas of how to portray a and werewolf. And it can't even be Paul Nashy in that makeup because well, exactly because as we've heard him say himself, uh, yeah. there were scenes that it was not him in the makeup, and that's very possible what's happened here. Well, then then he does rip the guy's throat out, mm-hmm. and then we get the very first of our insert sequences yeah. from Mark of the Wolfman, aka Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, mm-hmm. ripped wholesale out of out of that film. Comes a scene. Where he's cavorting and capering like a werewolf, like the werewolf we're like used to, like a spastic to. werewolf. Yeah. yeah, and it's very, you know, we it's complete. It looks completely different. It's colorfully lit. It's it's very obvious. This is a different movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you'd never seen Mark of the Wolf, you, you would notice this strange. Is, well, this exactly. Is that's that's a good point because not only is the stock footage, like I said, you don't have to know the film. You would know something. I mean, it's truly jolting because we watch this sequence of him running around and leaping around. Well, like he's a in crazy some wolf, catacombs. Then suddenly. We change to him just standing there, totally still, and strolling up to a, a yeah, gate. Yeah, out, out, out through the gate. Gate, yeah. I love the way uh, Nashie put it in his autobiography. He said he said that the the this double, the stunt double, or that they for some reason insisted on playing him in long shots. He said well, said strutted more like a Madrid pimp than a <laughs> which is a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's, that's, oh, give the man credit. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, but, so he yeah. just sort of casually strolls out the gate after we've seen him run around and leap around here. So and then good. for some reason decides to grab a hold of the electrical wires yeah. that have been knocked. Down. Right, we kind of we kind of had that set up by the. I mean, the servants had told Erica that okay, the power's yeah. out, and I guess that's yeah. so we will know why the power lines are down. But yes, he just grabs them and shocks the shit out of himself, and apparently, you know, appears to have killed himself, to be killed by electricity. Well, or at least you know, or or just a reasonable facsimile there. Uh, stunned. stunned. So yeah. our next scene is of Wilhelm, who turns out to be a newspaper reporter, right? Which tells you right off right off the bat, we're going to see a lot more Wilhelm than you thought, right? And I like to say that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually kind of liked the character of Wilhelm because I do too. He's, interesting. he's he's kind of um, in a weird way in a, in a better in a better film he would have been our through line as he unravels this mess exactly yeah. and puts all the pieces together. And so I I kind of get a kick out of him because it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch him do what he does. But uh, this this is the scene where we see him at work. He and his editor are talking about how strange it is that. Um, Valdemar was found dead this morning, and it's odd that a man was involved in a car crash that might have killed him earlier in the day, and then sometime later that night was electrocuted outside right. of his own home. Right. And the editors, the editor brings this to his attention, and and Wilhelm says, "Yeah, I'm going to investigate this." I yeah, think he's there's, like, "There's, there's something a story. To this. <laughs> there's a yeah. story here." So yeah, he senses that. So, uh... Ilona and Karen reading the paper. Uh, that's 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 giving the details about yeah. uh, the, the deaths around the Daninsky home and the, the claw marks on the two lovers. Uh, you know, basically, it does come out about uh, the adultery and mm-hmm. uh, the lover and both of them being dead there in the room and and uh, Daninsky being uh, electrocuted out in front of the house. We go from there to the good doc's next lecture, where she, of course, has her has sunglasses, sunglasses on. on, her lecture glasses on, where she starts talking very very. In, in, in a much more clear way about the whole remote contr- remote control of the human mind idea that's obviously her her big desire in life. And this is where we have our first mention, I believe, of chemotrodes. 
Yes, she does mention chemotrodes, um, which is something that uh, comes up repeatedly uh, as mm. this her whole idea and process and theory is described mm. to the cops later on and a few other things. And would like to point out to everyone that chemotrodes sounds like a made-up word, yes. but we looked the damn thing up, and it actually is a real term. Yeah, yeah. if you're like me, you chuckled long and loud at the every time they mentioned this word because it sounded so completely ridiculously made up, you know, and, and that's not the case. Uh, we actually did it. We're, we're not sure if we can totally define it, but you can put it, you can Google it, chemotrodes. Is a, that's yeah, a, yeah, a real and, thing. and the thing is, it does, have, it, do, it does have to do with the idea of inserting things into a brain yep. and being able to affect areas of it and control mm-hmm. the brain, control the yeah. the animal that you are essentially messing yeah. with. So of all the things we can legitimately attack this film on, that is not one of them. Chem- so, chem- so stop your snickering. I had a full page of nothing but chemotrode jokes that I had to wad up <laughs> and throw away. Damn it, it's real. It's, yeah. <sighs> it's real, it sucks. Oh well, anyway relates about this and I, I thought it was I thought it was interesting that at the end the end of her lecture there they have a moment of silence for, for the professor professor Doninsky mm-hmm. he's passed away of course mm-hmm. cops talk to the uh, college administrator and about uh, Doninsky's travels because they're obviously digging into you know the uh, college administrator expl- tells the cops that he seemed ill at ease after returning from his most recent trip to Tibet right and uh, he relates the details of be- you know him being the only survivor and cop takes his notes and goes okay doc Ilona is making notes she's in her office alone and uh, making notes about uh the way she sees what's going on and what her plans are mm-hmm. she explains that valdemar's death isn't real and she relates this to information she got from a tibetan scroll mm-hmm. now like i say this is the only mention uh, yeah, of this right. Tibetan scroll. Yeah. All I can assume is that we were supposed to get some idea that she found this information in that little box in that, little that he gave box. her. Yeah, yeah that's well, all I can figure. We, this is a leap we're having to make because sure. there's yeah. never any indicator in one way or the other. But she says that the Tibetan scroll tells her that uh, he can only die under certain special circumstances. And therefore, she knows he's not really dead. Not really dead, right. And then I, lo- I love this quote, everything is going perfectly. As if she somehow could have planned this <laughs> She's shit. just, yeah, as I say, like, masterminded. What are, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Everything is going perfectly? Is she, um, is she, is she smoking meth? I mean, uh. All right, all right. So we see the cop talking to uh, Karen uh, about uh, the good doctor's work. And she explains chemotrodes and uh, the whole thing, the whole, the, the whole idea behind attempting to control people by freely directing their minds, which is, which is interesting. The cop, you know, I, I love the way he kind of walks up to the camera and just thinks to himself, chemotrodes, chemotrodes. I know, <laughs> which is, I know one of those moments where it's like, that's where I started making my notes and about jokes like, about chemotrodes. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Crazy, crazy, crazy. But, um, and once again, once again, you know, she's just totally like told him, you know, like yeah, she's working on dominating, you know, controlling the human brain. Oh, okay. And nobody and blinks. I know it's yeah. He's like, well, oh, you know, well, that's interesting. This is, just in Germany, this is what we expect Germans to. <laughs> this is what we expect Germans to. Uh, uh, to oh, I'm sorry if there's any Troy, uh, not, Troy, Troy. That's that's funny, but wrong. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. If there are any any people of German descent or nationality listening to oh. the show, that was totally meant in in, in, in jest. Yes, it was, mere, it was mere humor. We swear. Uh, I even turn it back on myself. I can tell you that if you are interested in mind control, Southerners are a great place to start. So. <laughs> yeah, really, because these idiots could freaking use some use some mind control because they believe some crazy ass crap. People. Okay, uh, <laughs> our next scene is a foggy night. 
and the doc has hired two goons to go and dig up Valdemar. <laughs> she gets more charming by the minute, as if know, as it, to add to her list, her laundry list here. She is now a grave robber. Oh, I know. So, so she she has them dig him up, and uh, great what happens here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they crack open the they they crack open the the coffin and his hand comes out and grabs one of them, and she somehow exerts control over. She Dinesky does this whole Bella Gosi zoom in on her eyes where she like without saying a word, uh, because the guy you know obviously yeah. the grave robber is about to you know uh, <laughs> about to have a strong bowel movement in his pants <laughs> by the fact that this hand is just shot out, <laughs> and you know really this scene honestly had it been filmed better I mean it's I like it's it already could it's, have been done so oh it could have been better, one of the big sloppily it, it, directed it could have made people totally jump a, a foot in the air I mean if you'd really just because I mean I certainly was not expecting I mean if if a hand had suddenly shot out and grabbed the guy at least they didn't throw a cat you know out of the casket <laughs> there are no cats no thrown cats here no. but still I mean it would have been a great scare moment but it's very it's kind of just shoddily kind of lazily filmed but it's still kind yeah. of a neat moment where because Basically, Daninsky, he's not conscious. He's still almost like in a zombified state, but he's got a hold of the gravedigger's arm, and the guy's yeah. just, like, scared to death. And you're right, and, and Ilona then is apparently just through the force of her will. Which doesn't make any sense. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> it, it makes zero, zero, zero sense. She's done nothing to him. No. So know. how in the hell could she possibly be exerting any influence over him? It, it, it makes no sense to me. But I will say this. Something else odd about this, mm-hmm. and, and just once again showing the bizarre nature of what we're talking about here, this area of the graveyard where they dig him up looks ancient. <laughs> yeah. Okay? This yeah. does not look like a place where you just planted a guy a couple days before. Yeah, yeah All right? you're right. <laughs> this, look, this area of the graveyard, what we can see, I mean, there's cobwebs everywhere. It looks it looks like nobody's been buried here in 60 years, 70 years, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I so agree. <laughs> it's, I don't get what they were. It's just, it's, it's, it's sloppy. Um, we, we then, we then see Karen, uh, saying goodbye to Wilhelm, mm-hmm. explaining that she's going to be going on a trip with the doctor. They're going somewhere to, uh, do some, do some more work away from the college. He doesn't like the amount of control that the doc seems to have over her right. and says it outright and mm-hmm. asks her to not go. And she mm-hmm. kind of poo poos him and says, no, nah, nah, you know, you're, you're, you're worked up about this for no good reason. Yeah. We're just, you know, her work is important. We're going to go do this. Remember, I want to, you know, I need to fin- I want to finish my degree. He, you know, kind of meekly goes along, but he's not happy about it. Well, what's funny is they they sort of have like a quick little, nice little romantic moment, but then the phone rings, and Karen goes over and picks it up. It's quite obviously Alona, and Karen's tone is totally like, no, no, I'm I'm sorry, I I didn't, you know, it's just like (laughs) totally meek, you know, it's like, no, please. Of course, where should I be? What should I do? (laughs) It's like Ilona just sensed that she was like having a romantic moment, just had to call in and like. I know it's like you, you know you've got to feel for Wilhelm because it's like it's like man, what would it have been like if I were actually unzipping my fly at yeah. that point? Would she have burst into the room? I mean, yeah. oh. oh god. Anyway, so uh, our next our next scene is at night, and we are at we are at some at this point undisclosed location. Yeah, it looks like kind of like either a big mansion or a castle of some kind. Yeah, place. yeah, yeah. And uh, the body of Valdemar in its coffin is being delivered to this secluded locale. Mm-hmm. The doc and Karen and several other attractive women, sexy lab are overseeing <laughs> this as the uh, the two grave diggers bring mm-hmm. the bring bring the. Uh, there's this huge mastiff kind of dog there. You know, yeah, there's a great big damn here. dog. And also overlooking this scene <laughs> is for the first time we spot yeah. what I'll just refer to as the Phantom. You might as well. It's basically it's 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 Herbert Lom from. It's, I think the Herbert Lom Phantom is who this probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, the Terrence of, Fisher you know, Hammer version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just it's as, a guy in a mask. It's a guy just standing in a, there in a big white rubber mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very strange, and he does really look like 
the Phantom of the Opera from the Hammer Phantom. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just as an aside, I like the Hammer Phantom. It's not perfect. Yeah, I do too. And I also think that this this is, um, I mean, uh, I also think that him looking that way is intentional too, uh, especially as we see this character later in the film. The more we see him, the more he really starts to look like a character because he eventually is wearing like a cape and we'll get into all <laughs> yeah. that and everything. But I think that may, be, that may be something that was Nash's own touch because of Nash's just love of old classic horror movies. Just having him look that way might have been his actual, you know, he, that may be something he did have I say in who well knows, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know. I wouldn't ascribe anything that I actually like to the director because yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. there's scene after scene where it appears that there was no one competent pulling right. pulling the trigger on anything but at any rate the phantom is also just standing there watching this whole thing and we're not given we're not given any information about this guy and the camera doesn't even really linger on him long enough for you to really think am I supposed to be seeing a guy with a completely white <laughs> featureless face Face? What in the hell is that? Yeah. Is that the shape from Halloween? <laughs> what is that? And so it, it, it's strange. Uh, we are introduced to uh, the the two these two other women that are there. Karen gets introduced to them. Now here's here's a difference in the uh, the Spanish version. They're they're called Heather and Barbara, and they're students from uh, the college in Stuttgart. And uh, but in the uh, the English dub, they're Barbara and Hetty. Yeah, so I kind of want to just call them Hannah and Barbara, if that's okay with you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to call them Hot Chick and Hot, hot Chick and Hot Chick. Well, I just love you know, I mean, Elona's in like full, you know, she's now in full black, you know, dressed totally in black with her huge mastiff dog, and she just has these sexy lab assistants all around. Oh, I know, mean, all around her. Yeah, you know, I think this, this is one thing about this. For some reason, it just makes me feel like um, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, some you saw some sort of European sex comic come to life, or you know, like one of those European <laughs> adult comics. It's just something like about criminal it. Just, or something, exactly. Yeah. There's just something about that kind of that kind of oh, thing makes this. You know, I got, it, the film has that certain kind of charm. To, you know, yeah, you know. yeah, I can, I can see that. And but, but the thing is, as soon as you mention that, and it starts coursing through my mind, I start to think, well, wow, there's another missed opportunity. Oh, sure. The film completely oh, sure. blows. Well, and I also kind of this point where they arrive at the castle is to me the point where I mean, the film has kind of been like a runaway train, sort of teetering on the rails, and this is to me where it really just starts to go off. Okay, in, through yeah. the woods, over you're the, right. you know, you're right. It truly goes off the rails about this point because it, the the nonsense just continues to build, just continues to escalate. Uh, as, as, as from this point forward, and the thing is, as as we start getting into some of the more bizarre things that are part of this whole castle setup, I'll point out to you where I think uh, a stronger hand on the tiller could have made a really fine little film out of this. Oh yeah, yeah but it just honestly, because there, there not, seems to yeah. have been no good firm director yeah. of any of this material yeah. on hand to really kind of rein it in and go. Yeah. We need a, we need our straight line. We need yeah. we need we need to be able to agree, identify with this character. We need to be able to push things in this direction. Because there's no shortage of interesting ideas, you know. I, I know, but the thing is, it's very much like uh, you know a sloppy cook. You know, yeah. I'm just going to throw everything up into the air and hope it lands in the pot and cooks properly. It's yeah. just very strange. Now, before we go into our next clip, we'll say like uh, we we do have a uh, excuse me, Elona um, tells one of her assistants to uh, bring the wine, and they yeah. bring her a couple glasses of wine, and she drops. Something. Something appeals into it and gives it to the grave diggers. The grave diggers basically toast. You know, they both raise their glasses to oh. the body of Waldemar Daninsky there uh, and 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 drink. And we don't find out till way later in the film what actually happened. But uh, that's a, just a strange scene anyway. You well, know, but it was it. very obvious that even the first time I watched, well, you know, film, it was very obvious. Is, oh, yeah, she's, she's, she's killing she's the, killing these guys. Yeah, yeah, or the getting actually, I, I didn't think at first that she was killing. I thought, ah, oh, she's going to turn them into she, slaves, yeah, some kind yeah. of zombie thing, which mm-hmm. is you know, which is something we're already getting that whole mind control. I'm you know. Well, yeah, and obviously, if they robbed a grave for her, then they've you know she has some influence to begin with. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, but anyway, so then the next scene, uh, we see uh, Karen and uh, Yona, and uh, there is uh, Waldemar laying on the slab, and this is where we uh, listen to a little bit of dialogue here. Yes, it's Waldemar. His heart is very weak. But do you think that... Don't touch him. But... And now his heart will strengthen when he receives electrical waves. And his mind will reach limits that are superhuman. This is all very dangerous. Now watch him. This is Karen, a new friend for you. These are Hetty and Barbara. Both came from the faculty in Newland. They'll help us. It seems that these underground cellars are housed with all kinds of surprises. The experiments that we shall do here will revolutionize science. This is what I've been preparing you for all these years. Look after Walterman. Okay. I, I love the, the, dialogue, the uh, dialogue in that scene. Wonderful, it's, yeah. <laughs> this they, is all very dangerous. <laughs> I just love the way he just suddenly, <laughs> suddenly occurs to her when I've... Robbed, yeah. We've robbed a body. We've gone to a faraway castle, and we've got him on the... A dead man's alive in front yeah. of me. Yeah. This is all very dangerous. And I love after she introduces her to the other sexy lab assistant. She says, it seems the sellers in this castle are full of surprises. surprises. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep expecting the porno movie to, music to start at any moment. Well, I know. It's like, what is this, lesbian foursome? <laughs> with, you know, the male-dominated corpse? You know, Our uh, next scene <laughs> is Wilhelm. The, our, our reporter guy talking with his editor again, and they're they're talking they're discussing the uh, the grave desecration, the the theft of Daninsky's body, and uh, he uh, Wilhelm says to his editor, "You'd be surprised if I told you what I think about all this." So he goes off to uh, break into the Daninsky house to look around and see if he can find anything that'll help him with his investigation. Right. But he's immediately once he's inside the house, busted by the cop who's there also. Mm-hmm. And the cop just kind of lays things out, saying, "Look, I know you're you're investigating this, and I also know you've been doing some interesting research at the library in town." They they mentioned the whole chemotrodes thing, and the name Helmut Wolfstein gets brought up, which is interesting because yes. suddenly suddenly we're back in Mark of the Werewolf we sure territory. Are. We sure so are. we're we're Still. linking. You can see the decision to try to link the Daninsky films all together here, especially in these first few that he was writing. Right. Link them together, the whole Wolfstein family idea, keeping that intact, mm-hmm. moving mm-hmm. moving those names around. The co- they, they also mention um, that he's been studying Tibetan legends, that Wilhelm's been looking through Tibetan legends at the, at the library, yeah. as well as researching Helmut Wolfstein. These things all seem to be connected, and he asks him, well, where's, you know, where's Karen? Where's your, where's your girlfriend Karen, the doctor's mm-hmm. assistant? And he says, I don't know where they've gone. She wouldn't tell me, but mm-hmm. she went off with the doc someplace to continue some research, and I'm not even sure when she's going to be back. Cop's not sure he believes him, but what's he going to do? Because he also says, he says, don't you think it's a little strange that your girlfriend would take off with the doctor leaving and not tell you where they're going? And he's kind of, yeah, he didn't really have much answer to that. He's like, yeah, yeah what can yeah. I, what are you going to do, you know? Well, it's interesting in the, that, that Wilhelm, I, I keep calling him Wilhelm, but he's actually William it's in William the English in this, language right. dub, and I should point that out. Yeah. That, you know, once again, the, the name names. Trying to get it forth the idea that we're set in Germany, they, they yeah. changed, obviously came up with, the, we call him Wilhelm here, but uh, yeah, and all my notes I've got them written down is William, I'd forgotten that they actually call him Wilhelm. Yeah, it's it's William or Wilhelm, it's, it's the same cat. We we cut back to the castle, uh, wherever they are in this undisclosed location, with with Valdemar being shocked. Mm-hmm. Um 
physically electrocuted. Of, obviously, a lot of discomfort in these, yeah, and on this uh, operating table here, and, and the writhing around, and things, wires chained to it, wires to his head, going to his head, and yeah, and we we see the two uh, the two girls, Barbara and Hetty, or Barbara and um, Darnold. Hannah Wolf. was that the other Heather? Heather. Yes. We see them two them talking, and. Uh, one of them is a little upset. I'll be honest. It's like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I can't oh, figure out which is which. I can't either. And and first of all, let's just set this where they're at. They're somewhere, I guess, on the grounds of the castle or inside. Or, or I can't tell if they're out in a... I, I think t- they seem to be just outside in kind of some yeah, gardens. And there's there's this wall of this garden here with all these really tall plants. that And there's a figure. There's a, there's a man. There's a figure like a guard or something standing over in the plants. But there's some sort of human, you know, male figure... Standing over there in the, it's like a statue. Yeah, uh, I mean, but he's, I mean, he's a guy. He's a guy just standing there, which I thought yeah. I took it first to be just maybe like one of the guards. Uh, but the way this conversation goes has me thinking another direction, and I'll bring it up after we hear this amazing bit of dialogue here between these two women. <laughs> Basically, the <laughs> the blonde looks apparently she's kind of snooping around where she's not supposed to be because Rose the other Prince. yeah, yeah, exactly, and the other <laughs> and Gillenstern, yeah, Mrs. Gillenstern, uh, uh, basically accosts her and asks her what she's doing there, and then. Uh, Y'all just have to, you just have to hear this conversation to <laughs> believe it. What are you doing here? I heard some screaming. You know you can't come in here. But really, what is the doctor trying to do? She just works for science. And what about those human beings? This is just the first step. Don't, don't continue. To be a student of the doctor, you need more guts. You see, nature is all. The earth, moon, air, the sun. Yes, but also darkness and destruction. You say that, then there is nothing, nothing. Yes, but you don't understand. Everything that's been going on around here is much more like witchery, and I don't see anything scientific about human beings suffering. What can that be? Well, isn't this scientific? They're neither animals nor plants, for now. But after the doctor's preliminary phase, there'll be authentical mutants. And always they'll live in darkness. No, no, I don't want to go on listening to this. This can't be scientific. This can't be scientific. I don't want to... Uh, 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 uh. Okay, give me your best guess. What the hell <laughs> what is the happening hell is... at the end of that scene? I swear, okay, it... It, what it, what it looked to me like as she backs against the wall and screams, "This can't be scientific! This can't be scientific!" <laughs> it looks to me like this huge hook comes down and and is basically supposed to be, I guess, going to kill her. Uh, she sees it and starts screaming, but it's very obvious she grabs it and holds it against her neck, you know, like she's guiding it too. But I swear, all I could think of now, I know you have a different idea, and I well, think you I, may be closer to the truth. But I don't know. It, what it, but what it looks like to me, it, it made me think of it like she's getting the old showbiz hook, you know, like the, <laughs> it's like somebody's like saying, "Sorry, dear, you're too bad an actress. We're going to give you the give you the hook here." But it's, okay, it's just, but I, I cannot. I've watched that sequence over and over again, trying to figure out just what in the hell is happening. And the best I can come up with, it looks like a vine, not yeah, a hook, but yeah. it looks like some kind of mobile sentient vine. Which we see nothing of in the rest of the film, but here's the reason why but I think we also you, don't have any clue what the hell is going on. Well, exactly. Here's the reason why I think you might be on the right track because in this whole scene, you know, we've seen this. Uh, we've seen that they're standing next to all these plants, and there's this this person standing over the plants. And at one point, you know, the the girl who's caught her, you know, the the girl who's who's yelling at her through the scene, she turns around and, and indicates that she says she says, "What about them?" She says, "They're neither human nor plant." But after this yeah. phase. 
They'll be authentical mutants. I love that term, authentical yeah, mutants. Which is so I'm sitting here thinking, like, yeah. is she growing people out of plants? Is that what's supposed to be happening well, here? Well, remember, <laughs> remember, help us people, here, please. Here's, here's something else that helps me to think. Helps me to think. <laughs> Nothing in this film helps me to think. Here's something that leads me to think that it's a vine that attacks her. Mm-hmm. Because later on, there is another nonsensical, just what the hell is this scene where Valdemar is walking around and a hand shoots up out of the ground with some yes, plants yes, and right. grabs and, his and, ankle. And I agree. And that's what makes me think that this is some sort of weird like greenhouse for these weird plant creatures that apparently Ilona not only can create human zebras, she can also create <laughs> triffids apparently. She's created, got a, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, a triffids yeah. or something. I don't so know. So my, my best guess is this is yet another example of... A path not followed up on. Oh, yes. Well, again, like I said, this film. way this film gets the lunacy just kind of compounds here. Now, something in and something that he mentions in his autobiography uh, that I thought was pretty amusing, and he doesn't say it in the interview there, but there's a part in his autobiography where he says that there were times when he, on the filming Paul Nashi, uh, would see a like a 14 year old boy rewriting parts of the working on the script, rewriting parts <laughs> of the script, and the director kept saying it was his nephew. Uh, and the more I see of these things, you know, it makes me think, you know, that could be absolutely true. That could be it. It actually, the, the parts of this might have been edited by a 14 year old well, boy or something. It's, it's, <laughs> I would have to say that there are things that I don't know that we can really attribute to what, what he's talking there about, because what we're, what we're getting the filter through is the bizarre. Yeah. English dub. Well, and that's something, too, is I don't know how... I mean, there's definitely things you could probably just blame on the people who were dubbing this film who also didn't know what the hell was going on. And so... Yeah. and so, But but I will say, in watching the subtitled Spanish version, you know, the, the story still stays pretty insane. There are some places where the dialogue is maybe not at least quite as nonsensical. And so I think you can, you can blame some just on the people who are dubbing it. But, I, you know, you can't blame too much on them, you know. I think in a lot of cases, they also just... Didn't know what they had there. It was just trying to come up with words. Because literally in this scene we just heard, this dialogue, you could literally like probably snip every one of those lines, throw them up in the air, and let them come down in a different place, and it would be just the same. <laughs> I mean, just it's, as, it's, it's, it's yeah. the, more non-sequiturs in that one last little clip we've heard. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, crazy. But basically the whole scene, since we can't figure out what the scene itself means, all it, the only thing it leads to is the fact that the girl screams and, and it wakes, it wakes up, up Karen. Karen. And so now at least we've got something in the story again. That's okay, Karen, so Karen, that's Karen wakes up, and this is... I would like to point out the first point of divergent from the nude and clothed scenes yes, because right. uh, really briefly we have what I would refer to as the nip slip, yeah, right. which is that when Karen wakes up, for some reason, her right breast is, has has come out of her nightgown and she gets out of bed and walks toward the camera and we, we, we have her right breast unbared there for no good reason, but, you know, right. thank you. Yeah. And... Um, then we go. Then we proceed on to the rest of the scene, which is her going downstairs, walking around down in the one of the subcellars, mm-hmm. and the the caped rubber masked figure, yeah, the Phantom, yeah. the Phantom, uh, putting his hand on her shoulder, you know, freaking her out, and then running off. It, of course, scares the hell out of her. And then the doc, the doc, Doctor Doctor Alona comes up, and she just collapses into her in, in tears. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, what was that? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all thinking the same thing. Okay, what's with the what's with the Phantom of the what's Opera? What's with the Phantom? Yeah. <laughs> then there's a short scene of uh, at at the cop shop at the at the police station essentially, where uh, Wilhelm says that we you know we need to investigate the these forbidden studies of ancient scientists seem to be playing more into this, and he and the cop are kind of talking. It's a really brief scene. What I like yeah. is that there are other, these other reporters around. Mm. They're just like, ah, oh, we're not getting any answers from these. Like, ah, yeah. 
Well, what I love about this, what cracked me up here is, uh, now, what you just quoted was from the, the Spanish, the subtitle version, which makes uh-huh. much more sense, where he's, he's talking about these ancient yes, scientist stories. Because in the other, in the English dub, what he says is, he says, uh, we're being kept from the truth from by, by old fogey scientists. And what's great is it immediately cuts to Ilona and Karen standing there talking. In their, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what your definition of old fogey scientists are, but uh, you know, it's like it just <laughs> immediately cuts to these two delectable women in there, you know, talking. And, uh, but uh, anyway, that's the next uh, clip we have up here already is to hear their discussion because uh, we go from this scene, like you said, this very brief scene with uh, Will Elman in the police station. Uh, cuts to uh, Elona and uh, Karen basically standing talking there with with Waldemar still back on about chemotrodes about chemotrodes and discussing the situation with Waldemar. Will we get results? That's my hope. The chemotrodes will act on the hypothalamus and destroy those instincts of his which are destructive. This way, we can direct his thought and dominate his will. We have to wait for the next full moon. Ilona, who was that man wearing the rubber mask? A sick man just like the rest of them. Like the rest? Those drug people who live under your protection like animals? I can make them human beings again, Karen. I can cure them, you see. They're my patients, and they trust me, all of them. I don't know. At times I think that all of them, Walterman, Hetty, these wanderers, and even me, all of us are just guinea pigs for your experiments. What are you saying, Karen? You know me very well. Do you think me capable of such a thing? Okay. Uh, yes, I think you're capable I think, of that. Yeah, Lona, I kind of think you might be capable of just about anything. But this is kind of our serves as our introduction to uh, what I call the uh, the deadheads who are, uh, who are, who are <laughs> hanging out, apparently hanging out uh, in, the, in, the, in the castle here. Uh, yeah, this is where we're introduced to the the folks in the basement. Uh, <laughs> the, the they're chained up in the the what mm. looks like the crypt in the in the basement yeah. of this big castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of them. Yeah, more of them than I actually would have thought. A bunch, I, and yeah, and and sometimes they seem to be like chained up and unhappy and tortured, and other times they seem to really be having a damn good time. It's it's <laughs> it does seem to jump back and forth between being a miserable time for them and an orgy. Yeah. I can't really figure out. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Um, what I I, I don't. I, there's a part of me that wonders: Did this just kind of turn into an orgy? And they just I'll roll the cameras and film this. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't understand. It's 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 very strange. I have the. I do have the feeling there was a lot of wine flowing around the set with these people because I bet you they weren't paid much. As well, extras. I was going to say, with considering who was directing it, I'm sure he was imbibing along with them. Yeah, yeah, but. What's odd is that we're, we're, we we find we see all these people, and we also notice the rubber masked phantom, who's just, who's just sitting just around watching. Wandering, watching them. Yeah, he's sort of watching the outskirts there. He just sort of wanders amongst all the revelers here. So even as sloppily made as this film is, we're getting a little bit more. You know, we're seeing the phantom mm-hmm. around the place a little bit more, and you know, piquing our interest and in wondering what the hell's going on with him. Valdemar wakes up mm-hmm. and asks Delona the the obvious question: Why have you brought me back to life? <laughs> yeah. And it's, of course, the, it, this is the night of the full moon, and uh, the doc has him chained to the wall. Yeah. She's wearing her slinky little gown here. She's, she's in, dressed to kill. She yeah, looks she like is. she's going out to dinner. Yeah. It's a, it's a night out. She's come dressed to the nines mm-hmm. and uh, comes down with him chained to the wall to talk to him. Tell me how you feel. And then he goes through the transformation and turns into a were- werewolf. <laughs> 
and she's talking to him and asking, "Can you?" I love that she's asking, "Can can you can speak? speak? Can yeah. you talk?" And then she's whip, she starts whipping him. She starts, yes, she's had a whip with her. She starts just starts whipping him in one version. In, in 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 the Spanish version, she just whips him, and then the scene cuts. But <laughs> and this is a significant difference that changes yeah. the entire tone no of kidding. what's going on. In the English language version, she whips him, whips the hell out of him, and then apparently exerting some kind of control over him mentally, starts to make out with obviously, him, yeah, obviously undresses, gets yeah. and it's very obvious that, chained to the wall or not, the good doctor and El Hombre Loco... Sorry. I did that one on purpose. That was a purpose, okay. Yeah, yeah, I did that one on purpose. Okay, the werewolf and the mad doctor... Are about are they have sex? And I think that that you know we haven't seen all the Daninsky films, but we're so used to Aldemar Daninsky scoring. But this may be the only film well uh, where El Hombre Lobo scores. And it does seem to be the only time that I'm aware of where it's definitely obvious the werewolf gets laid. And you know, so in addition to being a bisexual grave digger, she's also into the little bit of the bestiality there. It's just just, Elona just (laughs) gets more Elona just gets more uh, more charming by the moment. I don't know whether to hate her or to love her. Or just or like I said, I may want to marry her. I don't know. Yeah, really. This, you, know, you want to marry her, but you know, have a restraining order and uh, yeah, a, a gun say, yeah. at hand all the time. But uh, yeah, she is a she, she's something else. All right. So uh, now, now getting into a whole other scene that's only in one version. You want to go forward with that after after what happens next? Um, I thought the next thing that happened was that we get this sudden jump cut to a, yet another outtake from Mark of the Wolfman. Well, we get that because he jumps out the window. There. Yes, so, suddenly he's he's loose from the wall and jumps out the window, and this whole scene is just him. It's yet another piece from freaking Mark of the Wolfman. Right. It's it's a jump cut him leaping out a window and on the prowl in the woods. Well, actually, but it's intercut with, with him yeah. calmly walking along and not stalking. Yeah, but there's something though that I think was right before he pops breaks out of the window because I know that right after that scene I think what it switches to and this is something that's only in one version it's only in the um, okay, well. it's only in the dubbed version the, the, the uncut uncut version is we suddenly see the revelers again and they're totally like party in party mode and I, and I know if the music they're listening to is not Santana it's some band that's doing like an exact uh, copy of Santana the music but they're doing oh, okay. and we see like one of the, the werewolf comes in and grabs one of the girls, but just like yeah, yeah. lays her on the bed and is kind of caressing her, sort of giving the impression that after he's screwed the doctor, she's let him go and he's come down to the cellar, gets it on with one of the girls down there. Then I think is where we get the the jump cut to to, to the, the piece Mark, from, from Mark of the Wolfman, yeah. where he's he's now escaped. So now, like you said, we cut back and forth between yeah. his scenes of him acting like a werewolf and then scenes of him where he's just sort of casually strolling, like uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very bizarre. And, and uh, he, he, he casually strolling around, and uh, he goes in through a window and mm-hmm. attacks this guy who's. He looks like a student sitting there studying right. or something. Yeah, I think that's that's the kind it, of impression I got was he's doing some kind of study. But apparently, it's in his home, I guess, because I guess that's yeah. his mother that. Yeah, but he, he rips the guy's throat out. But it's very—he's very calm about it. He—he mm-hmm. he does it, and then he kind of just walks away. Mm-hmm. He lo- looks, and he—he he, he actually looks back in the room after he's leaving, and he looks back in the room like, "Oh yeah, I killed that guy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then leaves. And uh, this guy's this guy's mom comes into the room immediately and calls the cops. Oh my but god! But she's so incoherent. Or she's so. She tries to call the cops, but yeah. she can't really speak because she's so horrified by finding the boy's body, and so she. She she calls, but she's she's like incoherent there. Well, um, then we get to boy, and even another strange scene. You want well, to take this one here? Well, you know, Wilhelm 
Well, no, not well. We well, then we well, another one of those shots of Valdemar just walking down a foggy street, which is just another one of those insert shots of somebody other than Daninsky playing the role, which is just so bizarre. That's how that scene gets capped, and it just—I I wanted to point this out and speak directly to the scene yeah. sucking <laughs> because it's nonsensical. It, it, we just had him, you know, murder, and we have these inter. We have the, this is our second time having a scene from Mark of the Wolfman intercut with this really boring stuff of just this guy walking around in werewolf makeup, yeah. and it making no sense that these two things are cut together because in the Mark of the Wolfman stuff, of course, he's an incredibly furious, furious, mm-hmm. ferocious, energetic, spasmodic, snarling, mm-hmm. salivating monster, mm-hmm. and he's just walking around. Yeah, you know, so. I know. Oh, I know. It's totally unimaginative directing. It's 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 obviously that the director, whatever else he did, I mean, the director obviously had no connection to, or obviously had no understanding of of the the what this beast, this beast mythology, or what he's supposed to be. It's like he didn't care, honestly. Um, but now there's one more part to his rampage, though. You sure? Well, what we have is a quick scene with the cops going, you know, t- oh, talking to the the mother. They got the dog. Right. That's right. They're talking to the and woman uh, they they found an article of clothing, a piece of clothing that uh, that appears to be from the killer. Mm-hmm. And he ta- he talks about let's get the dogs in here and have them have them uh, see if they can track him down. Then really quickly we jump to this this hot babe getting ready for bed, mm-hmm. and the wolf man just looking in the window at her, mm-hmm. and then him coming into the room. Yeah, we don't see how we he gets in the room. He just sort of strolls. He doesn't bust through the window or anything. He just sort of strolls into her room. And you think, oh, he's about to attack her, but he really doesn't. Now, here's another divergence right, between right. the two versions because right. in the Spanish language cut, he she's fully clothed right. and getting ready for bed. She was in a nightgown. In the nude version, she's getting ready for bed and she's naked. She's totally nude. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't really attack her. He pretty much just looks at her. And then crawls into bed with her and kind of looks at her like, "Hey, baby, you and kind the hairy-faced guys." Like, <laughs> He's I know I need a shave. But, uh, it's like Alona's opened a whole new world of possibilities for him. You know, it's like earlier, really, you know, it used to be just rip. I used to rip, just throat rip. I just throat yeah. rip, but hey, I'm starting to see you know other other possibilities here. And uh, it's God, this this scene is so so bizarre because I know because we I think we cut from here to. Maybe the the do- the policeman with the dogs. They've got the dogs out. They go through the woods because I know there's a cutaway. Yeah, because it cuts back to him. And in, well, then he it, leaves. Well, well, we, well, we get the idea that either he kills her or has sex with her or both. Well, he or definitely whatever. doesn't. He definitely doesn't kill her. At least not in the not in the nude version. Because in the nude version, once again, he leaves her and he obviously hasn't bitten her. So you're thinking like. Yeah, did he have sex with her? But the, it cracks me up at the end of the nude version. At least this some other guy, because she's in bed. Yeah, she's kinda, yeah. Some other guy walks in the room and he like he like slaps her a couple of times and says, "Snap out of it!" And then hands her a glass of water. You know. And at this point, know, at like, this point, I'm just fall, I've fallen off. I've fallen off the couch and I'm just like, like what in writhing. The hell and I know. Is just going my on? my brain is shut off at this point here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if somehow the directors, I don't know if somehow whoever had taken over the story at this point, you know, because this may have even passed the point where Paul Nashi said himself that he had just given up. I think that he was just going let, let, the... Let's be honest. This guy was directing from inside a wine bottle. He was. He was. <laughs> and he I was, just, he was going, just like, that looks good. Yeah, oh, yeah. they're tits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, let's let the werewolf make it with another chick, you know. But I just love the way the guy comes in and just slaps her a couple of She's been attacked by a werewolf, but comes in and slaps her a couple of times, you know. Snap out of well, here, some water. Th- then we have another <laughs> random shot of the, the fake werewolf walking around in the fog. And mm. then we have the scene intercut from Martha Wolfman. You're right, you're right, insert, yeah. Inserted, I should say, where he attack, where he comes into this little, this little cabin and attacks two peasants, the man and the woman. 
mm-hmm. throws you know throws the guy in the fire and and uh, you know, just goes completely berserk, <laughs> which is you know a great scene if it were in context. But yeah. hey, then we jump. Cut oh, it's a hell of again. an attack, but it just yeah, yeah. definitely definitely does throw into total you know uh, comparison. You know, just show how how lifeless the rest of the film is. No kidding. But then we we uh, we jump cut again to uh, the calm walking werewolf in the foggy street or in the foggy woods with the dogs barking. He walks across uh, the, the, the the cops and the dogs that appear be, uh, to be on the trail. But he we just see him we see the werewolf calmly walk across yeah. this little stream and then they're like oh we, we've lost the scent oh that sucks what are we gonna do well let's just let's just go keep, keep going yeah, this direction going. I guess it's uh. That 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 really the end of that scene and the cops talking to you oh we've we've lost the trail you, you know honestly at this point yeah the film has kind of lost the trail it is right yeah you're right that's symbolic that, you're right. it's it really like, does work and as a metaphor for yeah. how the film is going <laughs> I didn't at think this of it. point that's great. <laughs> well you know and, and it's just that attitude of well, yeah, just, what do you want to do oh no let's just it's kind of like what you're thinking it's like well yeah you're looking at you like okay we're you know 20 minutes from the end let's keep going you know <laughs> it's not I can you know what you want to yeah it's like yeah this crap's got to end eventually yeah. I mean you know yeah. surely right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, let's just let's just keep going. So, so now we uh, cut to a scene where Elona is telling Karen that she's got to go back to the university to get some more materials. Some it's going to yeah, leave her there equip- for a few some days. Some equipment or and something. I'll be away a few days. You know what you have to do with Walderman. Where are you going? I need some more supplies to continue my experiments, Karen. Tell me what you really want to do. What about Walderman? Tell me what you're planning to do. It seems, from what I can see, you've become very preoccupied with Janinsky. You know about my investigations. And if I succeed, all of the violence, all the instincts that are lack of love, will disappear. Mankind is wrong in its thinking. And these things will change. You're very young, and you don't understand these things. But I... And now, my dear, you're going to obey like a nice girl. And don't meddle in my affairs. Is that clear? <laughs> I, do, I do love that. Yeah. You're going to be a nice girl. girl. Not meddle in my affairs. <laughs> it's like if you add any... I mean, it, that, be sure that is... to wear that nice little black negligee when I return. And, and the G-string. Don't yeah. forget the G-string. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is this is classic mad, mad scientist dialogue, but it's just it's just it's it's so wrong-headed. Now, here's the thing: I, I wrote I wrote verbatim. I wrote out the Spanish translation of the, the the translation of the Spanish dialogue at this point. And she, what she says is, "All of the violence and destructive instincts of man will disappear from the face of the earth." Now. That's a hell of a lot better than the lines we just got. No, oh, I agree. For lack English of style. all of man's instincts, for lack of love, or lack whatever of love? that. No, no, I have just no totally, idea yeah. what in the hell that means. Yeah, no, you're right. It does play much better in the subtitle version. Yeah, yeah so. l- let's let's state that again. The mm. the Spanish ver- language version is a better, has much better dialogue, yeah, a much better feel. It's still not a good film. No. But it's got a better feel. Yeah. Uh, and I also love that also in the Spanish, what she talks about right after that line is that what she's trying to do is correct humanity. Mm-hmm. Now, that, I love that phrase. That, yeah. that, that, in other words, in her head, her rationalization for what she's doing is mm-hmm. that she is attempting to benefit mankind. Yeah, aren't they all? Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. she's obviously insane, but yeah. <laughs> you, can see, you can see her motivations a little clearer with yeah. that line. Yeah. She's not just a lunatic doing what, 
is just a bunch of random what, crazy crap. Yeah. At least it sounds better than hand. yeah, exactly. It sounds better than saying I'm you know I want to subjugate everyone to my will. Right, which right, she practically right. She, does say in the other scenes, but yeah. So the doc, the doc leaves Karen, and Karen starts exploring the place and kind of looking around and realizes that uh, the doc has left and locked the entire place up. She right. ha, she is effectively locked into this place and really has no exit. Mm-hmm. Valdemar stumbles in after his uh, night on the town of you know either ripping throats or having sex or whatever it is, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder if the place is locked up, how'd he get how inside? How the hell did he get back in? Yeah. Or were we supposed? To, are we missing a scene where? He came back to the place after his night out, and she, you know, put it put him to bed or locked him up or put him someplace. That's and let him pass I figured. Out. This must be later. The must be later in the day. The morning. It, it's just more shoddy editing. It's yeah. more crappy, crappy filmmaking here, where we're not given an idea of you know getting for you know the last mm-hmm. time we saw him, mm-hmm. he was you know kind of basically sort of calmly wandering away from the chasing dogs. <laughs> you know. But anyway, we're all you know the, the the entire place is locked up, and they. They uh, they don't really have a way to get out. Yeah, at one point he says it's all hermetically sealed. He says, <laughs> "I know," and that's that, that's pretty again, damn tight for a castle. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's the English dub. God save us. We've got all the authentical mutants hermetically sealed. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, oh, and then if it just didn't get more crazy, uh, yeah, he uh, there's a, he's walking off to search for another exit, leaving yeah. Karen alone. And watch it attack her, but a suit of armor. <laughs> the suit of armor she's standing in front suddenly grabs her. And, and and it's obvious that one of the mutants or whatever. I thought it was going to be Alaric Demarnik. But <laughs> Alaric Demarnik, yeah. She she faints, and uh, Valdemar comes back, and and well, We've Valdemar's gone down, and he he's seen a bunch of the servants or the or the along with some of the mutants having what I can just, only describe as an orgy. Well, they're all sitting around the table, and just well, he sees that, and and he finds some of them like sitting. Or maybe that's a different scene. Is this no, not no, where no, they're no. all sitting around the table? It's, it's where they're sitting around the table. Yeah. Right, right. But uh, yeah, and it's like once again, it's they say something about it. He doesn't even tell him. He says Alona will punish you or something. They're like he says something like that. And they yeah. say something to the effect that they snuck their way in. So I don't know if that means they snuck their way in from outside or if it means they snuck their way up from the dungeon or they escaped from the dungeon. No, no, because it's not at all clear. It's yeah, more sloppy filmmaking. But they, they, once again, they're all actually having a great time and he just kind of grabs a, you know, he, he grabs, grabs an axe from a wall. From but the then wall. as he's walking back, this is where we have that bizarre plant arm ankle grab yeah, where yeah. he chops He goes the by arm. the garden, and they, which again kind of leads to what you were, I mean, kind of leads to the idea that the maybe vine. she's growing these Like I say, it seems plants. as if there was all this stuff about there was going to be all this stuff with these plants mm-hmm. being you know humans and plants merging or something mm-hmm. and it just gets sidetracked and left completely out of the movie in, yeah, strange, yeah. in a strange way and so all we have are these two little instances right. of that that vine yeah what I assume to be a vine grabbing her by the throat or that we never see any more of and so we don't have any clue exactly what happened to that woman yeah. And then we have this scene with this nonsensical arm coming up out of the ground with the, where these plants are and grabbing him by the ankle and him chopping the hand with the axe. Right. <sighs> but he he comes back and the and the, the the person in the uh, armor he attacks him and uh, manages to kill him. Grabs Karen who's fainted on the floor and carries her upstairs. We see the doc, the good old Doc Ilona, is back at the university and uh, is talking with Wilhelm, who's found out that she's back and is wanting to know well where's Karen mm-hmm. and, and, and what I love is Doc, Doc Ilona is going uh, just completely lies straight to his face oh, yeah. it's, it's beautiful I, I have no idea where she is so I, she, I, she told me she was going somewhere with you right right the the cop shows up to uh, talk to her and starts asking questions and Wilhelm just storms off like well I don't I mean he's got no leg to stand on he didn't have he, he doesn't have anything except Karen you know Karen having told him that thing earlier 
So uh, Wilhelm sees the doc leave the university a few hours later. He's obviously been sitting around waiting for her to leave the place, and he mm-hmm. follows her in his car. Right. We cut back to the castle, and Valdemar is axing the door. Yeah, they've decided to try and break their way out. And, uh, it's, and Karen. It, yeah, it's it's no good. And honestly, looking at those doors, <laughs> I can see why yeah. it would be no good. Those things were those things were built to to, yeah. to resist siege engines. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they're 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 looking around trying to find some way something somehow they can bust out of this place, and they they see what is obviously a recently built wall. And he smashes that open with the axe, and boom, we find the corpses of the grave robbers. So, we and, figure and, the wine must have, that yeah, she yeah. must have been doing, like you said, killing the kids so there wouldn't be any witnesses. She fed them that she gave them the poisoned wine, and this yeah, is yeah. their, and I have to say, their bodies are pretty, I mean, it's pretty effective corpses. They're pretty gruesome looking, you know, yeah. that, uh, but anyways, yeah, so they discover the, body, the gra- bodies of the grave diggers. Karen decides that they should release the mutants at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when they when they when they go to do this, the they attack uh, Valdemar. Yeah, because he but... first didn't want to do it. And she says, "No, no, they've they've never hurt me. I've been kind to them." He's, yeah. he's not really crazy about the idea of freeing them, but but she does. They do free him, and you're right. And they immediately attack Valdemar. But then she kind of talks them down, and and mm-hmm. they realize they, they they go, "Okay, okay, we we want They yeah. just yeah, really, they just delightful. really want to leave. Yeah, Valdemar. At this point, Valdemar, apropos of nothing. Uh, explains that there's really only two ways to deal with his curse. Another beast has to kill him, or someone who uh, who loves him must use a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen takes this time to confess her love. Yeah. I well, love it. She's like, as soon as he says, yeah, I need somebody who loves me to kill me, she's like, hey, I'm your girl. Hey, I'm there. I mean, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, good. Good, good, I'm glad. Well, that was easy, wasn't it, Waldemar? <laughs> Isn't it good that the only woman around who's not completely a lunatic or a mutant yeah. is you know, in love with you? So that's, that's good to know. Yeah. But what, but what I love, think about this for a second. Once again, <clears throat> I just want to point out that in <clears throat> this film, we have uh, three main female characters. We have his wife, who obviously, you know, yeah. loved him and had sex with him. We have the good doctor, who he had a three-year-long relationship with and apparently drove insane. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe she was just insane all along. I mean, the crazy ones do give the best sex. Um, <laughs> and now, of course, we have the third main female in the in, in the story. And, of course, she loves him, too. Well, it's like, once again, Valdemar has batted 100. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a thousand, more like. he batted, he batted a, thousand. a thousand. He's 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 got it all. Uh, yeah. He is the full male package. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's mm-hmm. it. And if you have any, if you want to deny that, I, you should really just back off. Trump. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, if you're a female, you're going to love him. That's the way mm-hmm. it is. But well, uh, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> they they realize uh, they they've really got to find some way. They've got to find some something to help them with their situation here. And they suddenly realize, hey, let's bust open Elona's room and look through there. She <clears> might have, maybe we can find keys. Maybe we can find something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they break the door in and start looking around all the papers and stuff there, and they find a diary, some kind of book, mm-hmm. as well as a picture of a fellow who who's and it, the picture is labeled Doctor Helmut Wolfstein. Uh, what does it say? Uh, Why, uh, Weimar Congress, or is it Weimar Congress? I can't remember. Uh, 1933. There's a yeah, picture of him, right. and uh, we find Eva Wolfstein's diary. Dated 1967. And here, and then when we, as they start to read it, we hear her voice uh, reading what's in the diary. We're going to hear that, and you'll notice her voice is none other than our dear friend, Dr. Alona. That's true. Diary of Eva Wolfstein. Keatsburg, the 26th of April, 1967. 
Walterman has finally made a definite decision to marry Erica Wilson. Nothing I said could change his mind, even reminding him of the marvelous love we had for three years. The 8th of October. Progress is going slowly but firmly. I can already control the cerebral cortex and occasionally the hypothalamus of Erica Elmer. Very soon I'll do the same thing with the inferior side of the hypothalamus. Also, I have found the ideal person for the rest of my plans. It's a student, Neville Yates, and soon I'll bring out between Erica and Neville an uncontrollable love that will end in adultery. 3rd of March, 1968. Everything is going as I expected. The waves of the transmitter directs to perfection the minds of Neville and Erica. Now it's possible for me to totally control the emotions of both. The chemotrodes have been an absolute success. The experiences that my father started in Bailen are now reality. I have confirmed his incredible theory. 3rd of November, 1970. Something extraordinary has happened. Walterman has just revealed to me something incredible. He thinks he's been cursed by a werewolf. I will make a reality out of this. He will kill his wife and then commit suicide. I just realized it's a voiceover. Why did they go with Walterman? Yeah. In the voiceover. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but boy, this 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 discovery, this diary has opened up all sorts of uh, uh, other um, layers to the story here. Uh, first yeah. of all, we discovered that apparently she caused the affair in the first place between Erica and Neville yeah. uh, by controlling their hypothalamus or using the controlling their chemotrodes or however the hell she did it. As by the use of waves mm. from her transmitter machine that you could hear yeah. in that clip there yeah <laughs> yeah she set up this whole as a way of punishing him for for leaving her she set up this affair or can make control in which you know i meant that comes as a relief because i couldn't imagine how any woman could possibly have an affair on valdemar and so this it's all suddenly, you know you realize it suddenly makes sense it's right? only when you are mind controlled could you possibly think of having an affair on valdemar it's, ridic- it's ridiculous. Thank yeah. God there's an explanation. <laughs> so, uh, but even more so is what would now, did it strike you as weird the last thing she says? Uh, you know, she's talking about how he says that he thinks he's been cursed by a werewolf. And she says, I will cause this to make this a reality, which yeah. that opens up the ideas. Okay, was he really, was it really, like, not really cursed? I mean, he was bitten, but, like, was not really cursed. Did she somehow, has she somehow controlled his mind to actually make him a werewolf? Is that what they're trying to imply? I mean... It would be an interesting it way to take the story. Th- yeah, it's an interesting thing because she says, because right before that she said that he thinks he's cursed with lycanthropy. I'll make that a reality. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what does so that mean? I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's it's yet another one of those things that's kind of dangled out yeah. there in both versions, yeah. by the way. That's that's mm. directly what it says in the Spanish language cut mm. as well. Dangled out there like in a hook, and we bite yeah. on it, and then it just rips through our lips. And yes. <laughs> taking away our, our flesh and, our flesh and, away. Yeah, and possibly like, some gums and a okay. tooth. Okay, so we're taking this metaphor a little far, but you get what we're yeah. saying here. It's like, because, yeah, it would have been a nice little way to take the story. And, like, okay, you know, it was all superstition to begin with. There wasn't really any, you know, it's like there wasn't, the back wasn't really going to affect him. But by controlling his mind, she's brought out that she's actually affected, but make him a real werewolf. Anyway, it would have well, been now, it would have been an interesting twist. I have a question for you, which mm-hmm. is... Um, very basic here. Obviously, we've set this story in Germany, mm-hmm. Wolfstein, where 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 this 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 whole thing is 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 German German mad scientists. Right. We're talking about her father, his mm-hmm. work. This film's film came out in 1970. All we can be talking about here is a mad Nazi scientist. 
right? Yeah, I think that's obviously what they're trying to set up. But they never never call it that. They never lay out the phrase. They never say Nazi. They never say... They never even say Germany. We just yeah. get, are given town names. Right. And even later we hear a little more about what Wolfstein did, but he still never never connects him to yeah, never connects him to, to actually being a Nazi, but it does seem pretty it does seem it pretty It seems strong. pretty obvious, I mean, yeah. right? So I, I I I don't quite understand why that's shied away from and I wonder if in the original screenplay he, he drew a direct line yeah. there yeah. between, be you know, the too. the horrible things being done by Nazi scientists during the Second World War. But as the as the movie stands, we don't get that. And um, she ta- she talks she talks about her father. Um, experiments of my father. My the experiments of my father have been confirmed. His theory mm. is correct. And it's like okay, so it's just it just seems so odd to me that they didn't they didn't pull that string and yeah. make that connection because it's such an obvious horror film trope. Yeah, to right. Link your villains to the evil Nazi mad Nazis, scientist. Exactly. Right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> after this, we get a quick cut to. Um, Valdemar and Karen walking along there inside the castle, and they're attacked by the, I, I don't know, hippie servants. I, I call uh, them hippie freaks, is what I had them in my notes, was hippie freaks. Now, again, these obviously these must not be the people they freed from the chains because they were right. like, okay, she's been nice to us. So, are there 200 are there of these others? people? It's like apparently it's a whole other group of people, but regardless, they attack. They attack, and one of the people who attacks is uh, the Phantom. Mm hmm. And, uh, really he, looking like the Phantom this time because we see his full black cape and, you know. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. So. And uh, the, he and Valdemar really get into a tussle, and they roll down this, this long flight of steps, and uh, Valdemar tosses him over the balcony, and mm-hmm. he smashes on the ground and is obviously uh, dead. He's dying because they, remember, they yeah. run Karen and Valdemar go down to see his body, and, and, and he's, he's, yeah, he, he, they he's, take off his mask. They take off his mask, and they see this horribly scarred face, and uh, he croaks out, My daughter! Or something, my something daughter. like that. Yeah. yeah, my daughter. And uh, it's very it's very obvious that this is the mm-hmm. burned and scarred Helmet. father of our yeah. good doctor Ilona, or Eva. Eva Wolfstein. Her real name, Eva Wolfstein. Eva Wolfstein. <laughs> we, 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 do, we do lapse into that young Frankenstein. No, you can't stick. help it, you know. Frau Blucher. Frau Blucher. <laughs> then we cut to uh, the mutant, the mutants attack and kill... Is it Barbara or Heather? Or? Well, it's two. It's two women. So okay. Now I thought that one of them had been. Yeah, I thought there was I only two, and I thought one of them had been killed. Well, no, you know, actually, in a little while we'll see that there are more because we there get are a couple this. more. So, so I think yes. But anyway, they grab two of the nurse assistants and and, and they kill well, them. Well, do something. Yeah, we, we, if Rosencrantz died by the vine earlier, <laughs> then Guildenstern gets it here, right? Along with yeah. whoever the hell else. <laughs> whoever else it is, you're right. So they yeah. So they they basically in the midst, they kill kill two. You know, so they're sort of half rampaging half. Partying, you know, <laughs> murderous just scum. murdering, murdering, peace-loving scum. Well, or something. I got to tell you, I wondered, uh, ha- having seen the clothed version first, I, when we got when I got to this scene in the mm. uh, the nude version, the the, the, mm. the the version with nudity, I wondered, is this scene going to be more explicit? But it isn't. It's but the it exact isn't. No, same no. scene. Mm. I just figured that this would be yet another point where they could really put some sleaze in, but they right. didn't. Right. Uh, which I thought was kind of odd. Mm. Then we see Wilhelm. Uh, at a cafe, and he starts talking to the bartender there and asking him, "Hey, and just trying." Basically, mm-hmm. he's looking for information, mm-hmm. and uh, the barkeep is more than willing to uh, give him some information and introduce him to somebody there in the bar who's got even more information about the uh, local Wolfstein mm-hmm. Castle. Lucky, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lucky timing there. All right, on the castle. Yes. Uh huh. How'd you happen to know then? Oh, we're pretty far off the road, you know. Only the village people come here and sometimes guests from the castle. They come frequently? No. 
It's just that recently there's a lot of action. Can you tell me about it? Oh, there's a lot of cars late at night without lights. I'm just curious. Maybe you can tell me something about it. Over there is Frederick. He'll tell you about it. Thanks. <laughs> you Frederick? Yeah. Sorry if I'm bothering you, but I'd like some information about the castle, the Wolfstein one. Like what? Well, I'm not sure, really, but I think what goes on up there affects me directly. I'm a reporter, you know. It's a castle I wouldn't want to go near. Why not? Everything. It's all isolated. So sinister. When Helmut Wolstein was alive, my parents worked there. Wolstein? Yes, he was the owner. And now? The property's his daughter's. His daughter's? Yes, yeah, she's a doctor, professor at the university in Kitzburg. Thanks. Hello. Hello, Miller. This is William. I made some investigations, and there's not the least doubt in my mind. Elona Elwin and Abel Wolstein are the same person. It's impossible. I swear it. The daughter of Wolstein, who murdered doctors? Yes. Dr. Wolstein, the neurologist famous for his experiments on the functioning of the human brain. He sacrificed a lot of people in those experiments. I know. The police caught up with him. He locked himself in his laboratory and set fire to it. The house was reduced to ashes entirely. That's it. That's the one. And it's his daughter, Ilona, that's behind all of the strange things that have been taking place around there. Your findings coincide almost exactly with ours. I followed the doctor all the way up to the Blue Valleys, and she's gone on to Brennan. The ancient house of the Wolfsteins. That's it. It's all there. Now listen, do nothing. I'll be right there. So... We now have it all laid out here. Yeah, to begin to begin with, the bartender obviously came to Germany by way of the Bronx. And, uh, <laughs> I know, the and it, freaking... Sa- <laughs> and, oh, a, and apparently brought the village people with him. I love the village people oh, reference. Now, this, this is our return of the village people. The village, because that's the second time we've the, heard the... The, the, yeah. the, vil- the village people also appeared in yeah. the Do- Dr. Jekyll and the Wolfman. Yeah. So, I will um, not be happy until they finally just burst down the scene in song, you know, the in uh, full regalia. Know, uh, I, I, what I want to hear is a version of YMCA in another tongue. <laughs> you know, it might have been. YMCA. Just really bad accents might work. I don't know. It might have. You know, they might have been part of the drunk of the drunken revelers at the bottom of the castle. We just didn't ah, see them. You know, I was looking for people. an Indian. I was looking for an Indian and a policeman and all, but I didn't <laughs> didn't see them in there. But. Oh man, man. So man. from there, he just happens to be lucky enough to be there when uh, this uh, local guy Frederick is able to give Wilhelm all the information he <laughs> needs. He gets to play exposition. Exposition, yes. Oh God! It's like a it's like a board game. It's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like shoots and ladders. You know, you, it's like shoots and ladders. You carefully work your you way, way up the ladder, and then you get an information dump, and you slide down slide the ladder. Down the... Slide down there. Oh yeah. uh, Lord, Bo, and any um. And then in the in the Spanish version, yeah. by the way, he says that he's followed her to the foot of the Carpathian Mountains. Right. That's not what he says in the English oh, language no. version. No, I don't. Uh, Carpathian Mountains are they in Germany? Are we attempting to? Is it? I is it it's Russian? A, I don't. Romania, I don't know. Romania, all it's Romania, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> the next scene is uh, at night in bed. Uh, Karen and and and. Valdemar are just lying in bed unless you watch the unless English language cut right. in which it's they're right. completely nude and are obviously right. just molesting each other and have just had sex. Mm-hmm. Then they're they're laying there in bed. Uh, Valdemar's obviously done his manly duty and is asleep. 
Mm-hmm. She gets up and starts going through more of the doc's papers. Because at one point they've talked about how they need to find silver to make the bullets, actually make the bullets from before the next moon. Correct. She finds a gun, which might be loaded with silver bullets. Hey, you know, and then surprise! <gasps> Elona, Elona has returned. Her. Ah, yes. It's all mm. coming to a head now. Yeah. <laughs> we get a quick shot of the cops driving. Yeah, Inspector Miller and uh, and Wilhelm. Because basically, Wilhelm Well, not, to- not Wilhelm. Uh, oh, they're, that's they're, right. They're, Inspector Williams and one of his cohorts, they're driving out there and they're like, ah, we won't be there before morning. Which is supposed to, in, in a better, in a better edited, oh, because they're going to meet film, Wilhelm. They're going thing. to meet him, and uh, in a in a better in a better paced film and with with a bit mm. more suspense, you know, better directed and better put together. Yeah. This would this would tell us, oh my God, that means they're going to have to get through the entire night. Oh my, <laughs> they're at the mad if we scientists. Cared, yeah, if we cared at this point, we might be in suspense. Yeah. But if 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 we, if we weren't already at the point of going, what in the hell? By the way, at this point, we probably should go ahead and give a give a little shout out to the actor who's playing Inspector Miller. Let's do um, that because we've kind of missed on on identifying before, uh, but we really need to give him some some props because. Uh, uh, it's none other than, ladies and gentlemen, our very own Pierre from Werewolf Shadow. <laughs> yes, he is. Is playing Inspector Miller. Now, the most amazing thing is that when we saw him as Pierre in Werewolf Shadow, neither of us connected to realize that we had actually seen him before that yeah. in Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, where he was playing M. Ray, who was, you know, the big game hunter, totally dignified character. Yep. So yeah, this is uh, Jose Marcos, I believe is his name. I Jose think. Marcos is his name. Uh, he is. He, play, he played... Crazy ass Pierre in mm-hmm. in uh, Werewolf Shadow, and he did play Emray in mm-hmm. Doctor Jekyll and the Wolfman, and which so is a totally, shock. Yeah, he was so totally different in those roles that we did not even recognize him. Appar- uh, apparently, he was also in Horror Express, which everybody knows that I love. Beyond, <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I love so, beyond love. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. So once again, a connection to Horror Express, which mm-hmm. uh, just just goes to show you how how. <laughs> how well, it's like, you know, two degrees of separation, is, really, from, from Horror Express and every bit of mm-hmm. Spanish horror that you run across in this period of time. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, he was also in, in Umberto Lindsay's Knife of Ice, which is, mm. a, I believe, a giallo from uh, 72 that I still haven't seen, but I hear mm. very good things about it. I can't wait to see it. He was in a number mm. of films, apparently had a small role in Run, Man, Run. But, yeah, Jose Marcos, yet another unsung co-star of at least three Nashy films, yeah, and unrecognizable, just yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Who would have believed he, he even turned up in a in a role in uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown in '88? Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. I have no idea he, he appears. From the information that we have, he's he's still alive and kicking. Yes, yeah, but to be. Uh, at this point, he would be uh, well into his eighties. Yeah, so it's just mm-hmm. it's it's really fun. It's really fun to stumble across yet another. Uh, actor like this who just has mm-hmm. popped up, you know, in a couple of different places. I agree. But uh, we find that uh, back in the castle, Barbara was not quite dead, or Guildenstern, or whoever it was. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, she, t- well, no, I think actually in the English cut, she calls her Barbara. I think she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's not quite dead. The, the, the doc comes in and go and tells tells her that uh, Karen let the mutants loose and killed your father. Now, it's not okay. T- Time out here. Time out, right? Wait a minute. This means that Barbara had to have known that the Phantom running around with the rubber mask was her father. Apparently so. Yes. Right? Yeah, I guess so. She knew that. (laughs) This makes zero sense. Was she taken into her confidence that far? Maybe we're supposed to get the idea that they were 
they were lovers too and really, really close, so close, in fact, that <laughs> she was letting in on all the secrets, unlike Karen, who, you know, well, I like I, Karen and I want to have sex with Karen, but I don't know that I can trust her with the secret about my Nazi dad, so. <sighs> there's, there's an idea for a sitcom, My Nazi my Dad. My Nazi Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I definitely think he only On a very is, special yeah. episode of My <laughs> Nazi, Nazi Dad, dad. <laughs> let's control the werewolf. <laughs> Oh, my daughter's sleeping at the werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, my daughter's my daughter is sleeping with the werewolf. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just seeing Bella oh, Gussie now. God, how much oh. of this movie do we have left? <laughs> <laughs> we are approaching the climax. You need to hold on. All right, yeah, right. it's all good. Just you know, calm down. It's all good. Right. <laughs> We're back. Where here, where Elona has, in her normal way, has totally asserted control of the whole situation yeah. and managed yeah. to. Chained Daninsky to the wall, and even though Karen was carrying a gun, apparently no, 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 wait, wait a minute. Actually, we first have the the, the bizarre scene where Valdemar is searching for Karen, and comes to that big, that hysterically can't that's the ceremony, the candlelit ceremony. Oh God, yes. Which it, which is apparently this is how we know that there's even more women there, and it's just this there's bizarre. like a dozen women. There. Oh, and the Mastiff. I love the big oh, the big dog dogs is back there. And, you know, and his, his. Where it's like some kind of bizarre funeral <laughs> ceremony for her dad. Um, <laughs> And he inf- she she informs him, I have Karen. She you know she's gonna suffer a fate worse than death. And she starts babbling about her father with his science. He gave me infinite power. <laughs> and uh, so Valdemar just oh that's right down. because she basically tells him that yeah she says do, I'm, do, I'm gonna, do what I've I got I've got Karen and so I'll hurt you know unless you do it I want want you to then yeah so. so she chains him to the wall again, mm-hmm. and of course, night falls, and it's yet another full moon. Mm-hmm. He's chained it, to the wall. I'm not even going to get into the timeline on full moons. Oh, no, on listen, this no, that's not that's the least I, of our concerns yeah, at this it point. It doesn't matter anymore, right? But here's basically where Elona lays out her, you know, grand <laughs> grand scheme here. So. Well, I love the line, Elona. Your perversity and madness will turn against you. It's that's I love that line. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, really? You think? <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, probably. You're not suggesting there might be some sort of divine retribution or some sort of comeuppance <laughs> for all that I've done. All right, uh, ready to hear this? To oh hear this, yeah, wait, folks? this 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 is again. our final and and most wondrous clip of all. The moon will be full soon. You'll see, and you'll change. And then, beloved prisoner of mine, you'll find that I've prepared two surprises. Ilona. This madness and perversity will turn against you. Very soon you'll be the beast that I dominate. And I'll have you always as a man. I'll have you always. It's your beloved Erica. I've taken her back from the grave. She is as well, my prisoner. But there's something else. When you clawed through her throat, you also clawed through her heart. And so the curse that you brought back with you from Tibet has been transferred to her now. My next victim, it's Karen. So pure, so ingenuous, so young, such perfection, just like a goddess. And you are going to destroy her, but only after finishing with Erica. Uh, uh. Erica, here's your dear husband, your monster, and his sweetheart, Karen. He murdered yours. He killed your dear man. And besides, 
He transmitted his curse and has made you a monster. <sighs> made, you a monster. <laughs> made you a monster. Oh, I love the fact that apparently she can do anything. So she yeah. has resurrected, resurrected his dead wife, wife, strung her up there. And I, and I love this. In a, in a, the, the director blows this perfectly because, of course, he can't even frame the shot well enough so that you get the idea that's obviously here, which is you have Valdemar chained to the wall. To one side, mm-hmm. you have his, his, his now resurrected wife, who's he's infected with lycanthropy, strung up over here. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, to his other side, on a slab is laid out his unconscious recent conquest. I'm sorry, Karen. Yeah. So any half-decent director with an eye toward framing a shot to, to incite excitement yeah. <laughs> would know, hey, I have the perfect one, two, I have the perfect three shot here. Plus I have the evil mad scientist who can walk back and forth between the three of them and really bring this tension to a, you know, to a boiling point. (laughs) But no, it's just as boring and stupidly filmed as you would imagine. So, (laughs) good Lord. Anyway, we see Will Elm and the cops meeting up at the the bar and going, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go get up to the castle. Bad things are happening. Yeah, it has to be because this movie's been going on for a while. (laughs) She obviously wants to pit Valdemar versus Erica and have a werewolf Mm face-off. And that's what she gets because both of them turn into werewolves. Erica turns into a werewolf. Female werewolf. Female werewolf now. Let's, yes, now that's, that's, that's something thing. we need to talk about. Well, not only that, uh, the fact that she's been resurrected from she's a zombie female werewolf. She's a female or female oh. werewolf zombie, or however you would say that. She's I, basically yeah. been. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, to be honest. It's not something that really <laughs> came to mind. But yeah, you're. Yeah. Holy crap, I think I just blew out a synapse. <laughs> um, female zombie werewolf. Female, and female zombie werewolf. Let's yeah. talk about is now, he makes the claim. In his autobiography, that the, and that this is the first appearance in European cinema of a female werewolf. Is I, it? Our, I don't know. Our European friends will have to let us know. But I'm trying to remember. I'm trying I don't to just. I'm trying to think of when the first appearance. When was the first female werewolf in you know in in Western cinema? And 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 I, I feel like there's something that must have happened before 1970. But I'm having trouble thinking of what it might I can't be. Think of one. If you because I'm thinking like, is it the first female werewolf on screen? Period. I mean, surely not. There has to be something. I, maybe there was something in make some Mexican horror films. I don't know if there were female werewolves, but we need. Uh, there could have been somebody but... out there. If anybody out there can 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 kind of solve yeah. this mystery, because I'm real curious. Is 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 this is this the cinema's first uh, on screen female werewolf? Um, if it is, she's not a really effective looking werewolf. The makeup's not all that great on her. No, could have, uh, no, done. it's kind of half assed, but. You know, it, I, I'm very curious about that. People, if if uh, if there is an earlier female werewolf, I'm just trying to remember other female werewolves. Period. Before the Howling, where there's definitely female werewolves. Yeah, that's yeah. 1980. Joe Dante's film right, The Howling, right, 1980. Right. There's, there's female definitely female werewolves right, there. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. But before that. There's this, and I can't think of any others. No, I'm having trouble. I'm I have the feeling that there's going to be an obvious one. Somebody. I know gonna we're going to feel like total idiots. We're going to feel like morons. Yeah. Was there okay? Now there's the, was there an Universal film that was called like She Wolf or something? Oh well, no, there's She Wolf of London, but, but there's that's no, not that. She's no not actual. Okay, okay, okay. That. okay. No. That's what I thought. It's also that's... an intensely boring movie. Right, right. But yeah, it's an intensely boring movie with a beautiful lead actress. Yeah. With, 
I keep thinking there was something from the 50s that had an American 50s film that had a female werewolf in it, but once again, I'm down if I can think of what it would be. So Nevertheless, anyway, people, y'all if, help if us out. If we're can, forgetting yeah, a female You can make us werewolf. look like idiots. Feel yeah, free to. Yeah, we'll read it on the air. Send us a message. Down. We'll read it on the air and, and, and make ourselves look like fools. We're used to that. So <laughs> we, we, we have no problem, trust me. Yeah. Just, anyway. You know, female werewolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be right. So Erica changes to a werewolf and breaks her chains and immediately heads over to try and rip up Karen. Correct. Uh, Elambre Lobo does not like this. No, no, no. And uh, we we quick we have a quick cut of the cops getting to the castle and trying to break in. Mm-hmm. We're breaking in. They're and Frederick has gone with him because I think he says that he knows the entrances to the yeah, castle he, because he his just, parents yeah. used to work there, and so he knows how to get into the castle. Uh, but they still end up. They still you know, end up having end to break up, in. Somewhere. They still end up shooting the door. Yeah. <laughs> my my favorite nonsensical. I will shoot the door and it will open. No, dude, get a freaking axe or tr- I don't know. <laughs> Um, and now we come down to it. Werewolf Erica yeah. almost attacks Ilona, but you mean Karen? Er- oh, that's right. She, you know, she does. No, it right. Erica. She first she tries al- to go after Ilona. She almost attacks Ilona, uh, but Ilona commands her to attack Karen in her sort of dominant bitchy way. She says, her- "No, not me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As as she walks toward Karen. Valdemar breaks his chains, and we have a big wolf fight. Wolf throwdown. Not yep. a bad one, actually. Not, not a bad one. Not a bad actually, little werewolf really fight. By it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not bad. It. Uh, I would be curious to know because there's a bit of energy to it. I'd be curious mm-hmm. to know if if that's Nashy in the makeup there. Yeah. Right. Right. I'd be curious to know yeah. because we don't at this point. I think it must have been. It probably was. I think it. Probably I think was it too. must have been. There's just a little bit too much energy. In it. <laughs> yeah, he has right. the he has the crouch, and there's a little bit of ferocity. He understands that. Hey, I'm playing a. Beast a here, beast, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, it's not. It's actually a pretty good little fight there. They have um, during this. Karen wakes up, and uh, she she gets up off the slab, and Ilona grabs her and uh, throws her up against the wall and chains her to the wall. Mm-hmm. Daninsky is choking the female werewolf, and that's how he kills her. He actually chokes her to death, right? Which is a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, once again, it comes this thing. Apparently, werewolves can kill other werewolves, and they can kill by, vampires. Yeah, by, so, by yeah. just biting their throats and choking them. I guess we learn strange things. This mm-hmm. is another thing that we've learned from these films, which oh, yeah. is that werewolves can choke other werewolves to death. Mm-hmm. He stands up from having done this, and of course, Ilona is, exerts her control and tells him, "Kill, kill Karen. Karen," and he turns to do this, and then stops, and then turns on the good doctor. She realizes, oh, crap, I can't control this dude. Mm-hmm. And runs away, heads up the stairs. He chases her up there, grabs her, and we have, the uh, we have once again, our second toss-off-a-balcony of the movie. Right. Like father, like daughter. That's true. Toss her That's off true. a balcony and watch her die. Isn't it ironic? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, he tosses, tosses Lona off the balcony. And uh, she she lands and is obviously uh, all broken up inside, and I mean that. And outside too, yeah. I say, yeah, yeah. She is truly broken up. But uh, luckily, she's really near her gun. And just fell right beside the gun. Isn't she lucky? And like all women with a <laughs> with a gun in in a, in a Wolfman movie written by Paul Nashy, this woman's a dead eye. She is a she is uh, she pops a cap in his ass. I think she pops a cup. Not, I mean, not only with half her bones broken and firing, lying down up the you know from yes. a lying position up the stairs. <laughs> up the stairs. Manages to put two sweet shots, right? Right. Yeah, there. I know. A nice squib work there on yeah, that, by the very way. Nice. I, I kind of nice. like. I kind of like the squib work. I have to say, he flops back there on the stairs and uh, uh, dies, mm-hmm. and then she crawls up his body, and he has reverted from werewolf form to human form, mm-hmm. and uh, she kisses him, and then she dies, laying next to him on the stairs. I, I, it's not true love. It's I don't know what the hell you'd call it, really. Well, it's it it, it 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 brings up a couple of interesting things. Let's go on and, and finish okay, off well, here okay. with you. Well, know, the, so the, the cops, cops are, the cops bust in, mm-hmm. 
And, Thank God uh, it's the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Jinkies, it's the cops. Yeah. Well, the cops come in and find the, find the whole situation. And uh, what's interesting is that uh, they're laying there on the steps, dead. Erica's corpse is there, but it's moldering like it's just, you know, like mm. it just got pulled out of the grave and has been there for the weeks that it would have had to have been there. They unchain Karen. And uh, this is this is an amusing wrap up. I almost wish oh, we had the I, clip of this dialogue. I, well, I wrote it down because it's a couple of great lines. Here oh yeah, it's, it's leaving. G- gentlemen, what, what, you go, go ahead if you've got it written down. Well, you this. probably know the line I'm talking about. The one that I just think could sum up this entire podcast here is as Inspector Miller says, "Not even the most fervent imagination could conceive of half the horrors we've seen." <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the line, gentlemen, let's forget this. So Miss Karen, Miss Karen can, can too. Yes. It's like because she is, after all, only an empty-headed little girl. She, it'll, it'll, I know. It'll, it'll, Wilhelm is like you know, ex- escorting her out of the castle. Mm, they're obviously going to go. What, a, be- happy. Yeah, what yeah, if yeah, a beautiful, what a beautiful day it is. Yeah. It's like, and they walk off into the sun. Walk yeah, off into the sunset. The end. It's yeah. Well, just, see, you know, once oh. again, it's an it's an early Paul Nashie film. He hadn't com- totally gotten the kind of control to where you know he hadn't gotten to that stage where everybody dies in his films. You know, this is still at the stage where True. we sort of have the more traditional thing of the. Hero and heroine are going to still, you know, yeah. be able to walk There's off into There's a form of happy ending, yeah. you know. And uh, um, but I do have to say that two things I like about. I mean, again, they may be totally accidental, but it, I, I like the questions that the the death of the Wolfman raises there. Uh, one of the things that I thought was kind of nice is if you've watched as many Donitsky films as we have, you know, and you're coming into this, you're expecting that Karen is going to be the one to shoot him and kill him because she's the one yes. who has true love for him. But the fact that it ends up being oh, Ilona. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're Basically, right. it kind of says that, you know what? She really she loved did him love too. him as insane and as crazy well, and, and as it, evil it, as she was. Is she actually... And I think the capper to that, the thing that's supposed to seal the deal and in a better film would have drawn more attention to it as right. a quality piece of filmmaking, mm-hmm. is that she shoots him and he's dead and then she kisses him before right. she dies. Right. Okay, which, yeah. is that in, which, which, which is that visual indicator mm. of what she really felt. Yeah, of course she's nuts. Yeah, right. Oh, sure, sure. But but, but, but the fact there's nothing that, in that. There's nothing in that whole curse legend about. Uh, they don't have to be sane. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> they just have to love you. In fact, I think so. it says if you if you fall in if you get a crazy woman to fall in love with you, she'll be even more apt to shoot you. you know? <laughs> so <laughs> many 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 a many a man can many a many, many a man can attest to that. that. Fact. So yeah. Oh. Um, I don't know. Well, I, I, I feel like I'm coming off a bender, even though I've had nothing to, to drink. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of punch drunk at this point. I'm sure you do too. But there's our film, ladies and gentlemen. There it yeah. is. It's it, okay. Theory let's let's Man. let's talk about a few uh, a few general statements about the film. First of all, the score is fitfully effective. It's not a bad score, but it's fitfully effective. It's kind of a piano based score, right? And uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's just kind of tinkling yeah. nonsense. Sometimes it almost kind of maybe sounds like it might be like library cues almost, you know. But yeah, but they're yeah. not poorly chosen ones. I mean, they, no. they usually they're kind of dramatic. They sort of harken back to classic horror. You know, a lot of them kind of have a real dramatic universal horror kind of feel at times. You know, I agree. And, and so, I agree. Yeah, not bad soundtrack. I can understand to a degree why this film, of course, it's fallen, and here in the United States, it's fallen into public domain, right. which is why there's so many crappy DVDs of it out there and why there's very little chance of us ever getting a decent DVD release of this film. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, although as a completist, oh, listen, hey, I'd love to have oh, a really shit. nice DVD of Believe it, me, but, if like Synapse or Blue Underground got a hold of a sweet print of oh, this, yeah. psh, I'd snatch it up, you know? Oh, hell yeah, I definitely would. But... The, the film is a mess on oh God, yeah, so many different levels. It, the incredibly sloppy editing, and I'm not just talking about the insertion of scenes from Mark of the Wolfman either. I'm talking about the weird... There there are at least five points in the film, five or six, I kind of lost count at a certain point, where there's just a, a, a... The transition from scene to scene is so 
damn disconcerting. It is. It's just, yeah. it's jarring, man. It right. takes you right out of the freaking story because you're just like, what? why did we go here? Why yeah. did we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that there aren't things like that in other Nashy mm. films. Uh, I think it's kind of part and parcel of this this kind of rather low budget, uh, you know, fast production. <laughs> the thing, mm. you're, you know, you've only got a certain number of days, get it filmed, get it in the can, and get it out of here. Right. Where sometimes it's just not possible to... To, to film that grace note at the end of the scene that'll be that'll make the transition to the next sequence you know smooth, but man here it's just over and over and over again it drives me crazy. Yeah, I think you know I can't say anything. Nothing saves the film because it's not a good film. But no, I will say good. what makes it what the most watchable to me is its best quality is Perla Crystal as uh, as uh, Elona. I really yeah. think that she makes the film. She she as nonsensical as her role is, she plays it with relish. She plays it very well. I Obviously, agree. she's a beautiful woman, but the character is just so insanely written and so perverse that, you know, really I think the film would have been a lot harder going without without her character. Uh, I agree. Without the way she plays the character. Now, the thing about her is... Um she is good, and I love her performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she, even even through the English dub, her performance it's, it works well. Really it's, well. I, once again, I, I I like it a lot better in the Spanish with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, she's quite good. I would like to point out that um, she didn't do a lot of a, a lot of other horror, from what I've been able to ascertain. Mm, yeah, I couldn't really see. But anything. she is in one of my favorite little movies from 1973 called The Corruption of Chris Miller. Oh, really? Hmm. Which is an exceptional little thriller that. It's kind of hard to get your hands oh, on. Oh, it's got Gene Seberg in it. Gene Seberg, yes. Uh, hell of a little movie. Very, very, very well worth seeing. Nice, uh, creepy. I don't want to. I don't like to tell people a whole lot about it. Just yeah, it's it's, uh, well, it's a good film. It's, a, it's a Spanish. It's a Spanish. Almost call it a psychological horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corruption of Chris Miller is just a really good movie, and she has a nice role in that. But uh, other than that, I don't know a whole lot about uh, her. Her the rest of her. Um, she obviously did a lot of stuff, but yeah, she she did she did a lot of movies. A witch without, without a, broom, a witch without a broom. That sounds seven interesting. Seven vengeful women. A lot of titles that sound interesting, but I just don't know her work. Right. But she's really really good in this. Yeah. Apparently, she's still kicking around and working because she's working in various Spanish soap operas. Okay. Uh, I, I that's that's the only thing I can imagine. Hospital Central is. That certainly sounds like a, a soap you know, opera. Love in difficult times, things yeah. like that. Uh-huh. So she's still apparently working. To today cool but she is very good and as the crazed mad doctor she really uh, what, what's great is her performance isn't over the top no it's really not she sells it very effectively she's quite good yeah and uh, veronica Lu- uh, luan uh, i think that's how you pronounce it played karen who, who played karen is is quite a very beautiful woman oh she is you know it's kind of the point you know there's there's beautiful women are such a given in these films that you yeah know, we probably got to almost, almost to the point to where we almost even it, talk yeah. about that yeah karen is actually a gorgeous you know gorgeous and, woman. and she does a good job as well yeah, yeah, uh, she she's does. not given she she's given here's what's really frustrating about this is that she appears to be an actress who's good enough to have pulled off mm-hmm. the 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 difficult task that she is given in this movie to play some really meaty stuff mm-hmm uh, she's got the the stuff with Wilhelm. She's got the stuff with the Mad Doctor. She's mm-hmm. got the stuff with Daninsky. So she's really got an opportunity to play against three very different characters and project a lot. The problem is the movie is so crappily made mm-hmm. that it while she, she she seems to shine several at several points, it's really kind of hard to get a handle on how good she might have been if there was a real director standing well, there helping yeah, her. Yeah, sure. So she did a good mm-hmm. job, and I'm and I'm happy with what's there, but. Eh, it's kind of frustrating. It, it's just another frustration of the film where you stare at it and you realize, wow, man, this this could have been. You, you understand why 
the failure of this, mm-hmm. the, the the you can see why this would make the man cry. Oh God, yeah. Because there's all <laughs> about brought me to tears. <laughs> well, there's so much there that could have been a yeah. good movie. Yeah, there are elements. Like I say, if he really was going to do the whole plant human hybrid <laughs> thing, yeah, that's then we're, yeah, maybe we're Lovecraftian in yeah, Lovecraftian or or Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, yeah. or we're going into fifty science fiction range there. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of opportunity in what he what is. The, the film almost feels like a failed sketch yeah, yeah. of a better story yeah. because pieces don't seem to be there. I'm wondering if things got filmed and left out because they yeah. sucked so much or or just what. I don't no. know, but it, it, it is such a bizarre mess. Eh. What can you say? Uh, no. Well, I, I I tell you, you know, it's it's it is a shame that it was made available, that it has been made available through the public domain thing, because the fact that it's been available on Alpha Video and all that, it kind of, you know, for for there's probably a lot of people out there that this may have been the only thing that they've, they may have been their introduction to Paul Nashy. Yeah, I fear, I fear thing, it may have been, and that doesn't help with the you know contribute to the reputation he still is is going to have with a lot of people. They may think like if that's the one thing they've seen, they hear somebody refer to, it, they're like, oh yeah, I saw one of his films. It's pretty kitschy, kind of crazy. Uh, Didn't you know, make any I, sense. You know. Yeah, yeah. They may just kind of figure like, okay, well, that's his thing, and that would be a great shame. Uh, but uh, you know, well, um, on the scale of one to ten, this is a frustrating one because it's not good, and it doesn't even break even like Count Dracula's oh, no, Great Love. No, in no my book. definitely not. It's not. It's not crimson bad. See, I was gonna say. It, it, to, to me, it's not crimson bad because the reason there it's not though, but the like reason it's movie. but the reason it's not is because it's got werewolves and and it's got cool gothic locations and it's got you right. know and it's got I mean it's it's I think it, it may be well, as, also, it may be it, as clum- well, it, also it has some really interesting ideas jumbled in there it does so you might maybe that makes it more frustrating but crimson was boring for long long stretches. This film didn't bore me; it just frustrated me. Yeah. So, yeah. and and for I me, can, yeah. always the biggest crime a movie can make is to, is be to bore me. Yeah, well, it's certainly not so. boring. I agree with you. And and so in, in that respect, at all, you know, you're right. I certainly couldn't give it a five or anything. No, you know, I get. I would, see, I give Crimson a three. This to me is more four. of a four. Yeah. It's marginally better than Crimson. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Yeah. But it's better than Crimson. I can't recommend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be if hard you're to... a Nashy completist, yeah, I understand sure. you want to you want to see it because sure. it's a it's a Daninsky film. Yeah. But no, no, I agree. Other than that, no, I couldn't suggest it as being one that I would suggest somebody to watch, you yeah. know, or something. So, anything else on that? I, I don't think so. I think uh, I think we've pretty much covered this. And as a matter of fact, if we can get this thorn out from underneath right. my thumbnail, <laughs> we can move on to better things. Yes, we'll uh, take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll read a little mail and tell you what yeah. we got. Kind of tell you, tell you some things. Tell you what's coming, coming up next. Yeah. going to read some mail we got from uh, our one of our listeners, uh, Brad. Um, 
Brad writes, I have listened to the Horror Rises in Blue Eyes podcast. Very informative and entertaining. I really enjoyed them, so much so that I came in today and downloaded the rest of the ones for the Nashies I have seen. Currently listening to Crimson, a film I enjoyed, although I know I'm in the minority. Yes, <laughs> yes, Brad, yes you, you are. are. <laughs> my friend Richard of uh, DoomedMovieThon.com had warned me, so my expect- expectations were very low, and I thought the professor looked exactly like Romero, too, before Romero looked like Romero. <laughs> he really he really does, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I'm really excited about the podcast. Can't wait to get a ton of the Nashies I haven't seen and get your guys' perspectives. All right, thanks, Brad. When Thank Brad you, then Brad. wrote wrote to us again, excuse me, because we had responded and uh, told him that we acknowledged that a couple of people had been hard a little bit, uh, thought we were a little bit too hard on Crimson, but we think they're insane. And so uh, <laughs> they are. So he writes back, and Brad wrote again and said, uh, even though he is the main character, talking about Paul Nashie, sort of. Paul Nashie just seems to be, or excuse me, Crimson seems to be just a film with an extended Nashie cameo, somewhat like The People Who Own the Dark, although that was a much, much better film than Crimson, I will readily admit. I bought a Mill Creek pack just uh, just for Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, only to find it is only 61 minutes long. That's wow. 30, that's almost 30 minutes. My back God, that kind of, I almost want to see it just to see, just to see what they left, what out, they left yeah. in or what they left in. It's like, wow. <laughs> I haven't, uh, Brad goes on to write, I haven't watched it in the hopes that I can get my fingers on a bootleg, and I will, but I am fighting daily temptation to watch the shortened version. Like I said, I'm definitely tempted now to watch the shortened version just yeah, to no see. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it says, when you eventually run out of Nashi films, I strongly suggest you continue into other Euro horror films and horror films in general. You both know your stuff. You're entertaining, informative, and fun. That's what all the chicks say, too. Um, <laughs> so I look forward to the next podcast. I have listened to Blue Eyes, uh, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, Crimson, and Horror Rises, and, and uh, brought things away from all of them. Well, thank you, Brad. And, uh, yes, yeah, funny you should mention uh, the, the plan to go into Euro horror. Uh, we've definitely talked about that. We'll talk about that some more. That We do, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. We do have plans for a little spinoff podcast. Uh, uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, we we definitely do. All right. Uh, do. Now this one it comes from uh, uh, I don't know if it's uh, well his Ibon, uh, it's, his name is uh, his name is uh, Landon. 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 Mm-hmm. I just wonder if his email address is a little Lovecraft reference there, but uh, uh, seems to me to be a Fulci reference. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. You want uh, to it says, uh, "Hey guys, I came aboard to your site and am thoroughly enjoying these Nashi casts. I have seen the bulk of the movies so far covered." either in boots or crappy old VHS versions, and I am greatly digging the fact that it sounds like you guys were digging through the VHS and bootlegs as I as I had 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, boy, that we was us. Nice. Those were great days. Um, we th- Those were the glory days of the VHS bootleg boom, mm-hmm. and it video, was a Video a Search time. of Miami and uh, Sinister Cinema. It was just amazing to be looking through a psychotronic magazine and yeah. then, like, see... Uh, you know, and then come across, oh my God, this is, you know, I can't believe I, there's somebody, oh, well, somebody's got this. I've heard this in whispers. And, yeah, it was yeah. amazing how uh, these companies managed to get a hold of some of this stuff. And you didn't care if it was a somewhat crappy print as long as it was uncut or, or if it was widescreen. I mean, it was just Just a chance crazy. to see some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, he wrote us back, uh, Landon wrote us back after we replied to him. And he said, uh, he's got a funny story. He says, back a few years ago, maybe 10 or so, Paul was at a Fanex convention up here in Baltimore. I was never really into meeting the stars and all that autograph stuff. Me and a friend of mine were making our way through the crowds, and I'm pretty sure I literally physically bumped into Paul Nashie. He was polite, as was I, and I didn't recognize him until later when I saw a few recent uh, recent shots of him. That was a blast for me. I was this close to someone I've come to see as a legend. Heck, I was even at a fan X with Christopher Lee and Carol Monroe, which... Wow. Uh, 
makes my head explode, yeah. in all honesty. It's, yeah, I know. Well, Car- Carolyn Monroe, I, I wouldn't mind bumping into many I've, times. I've, I've met Carolyn Monroe. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, but, she's uh, very yeah, sweet, she, very she's sweet lady. She's a very sweet lady. Still beautiful, I'm, sweet lady. Beautiful lady, Now, Now, kind. he calls this a funny story. See, it's it's not for me because I remember when Paul Nashie was at Fanax and I didn't get to go, and I, uh, I've regretted yeah. that. Uh, we'll never Hit stop regretting that. But anyway, uh, go on with Landon's story. Well, it, uh, it turns out that my friend that was there with me just recently got bitten by the bug slash wolf and is snagging all these DVDs, and we were watching them. It's great to see the much better versions of things we had in a somewhat crappy but very cherished version. It's fun to see these in a way as new films to the uninitiated. Sadly, back then, I know I shelled out good money on <laughs> bootlegs and the, and the like from convention dealers and Midnight Video and Video Search of Miami, etc., it pains me to see them available in kick-ass quality from the local Best Buy. <laughs> it doesn't pain me, but mm. I understand mm. what that twinge is in your gut, which is, I'm <laughs> buying it a second time. You know what yeah. pains me is the uh, very first VHS, first-generation VHS I ever owned, you know, and it was back when, remember, there was only video rental. You know, you couldn't buy videotapes. Or if you stores. tried to buy them, they were 100 bucks. Well, I was going to yeah. say, I had to get a uh, Curtis Mathis down in Dixon to order me Dawn of the Dead on, on VHS, and I paid 80 bucks for it. Wow. <laughs> for a VHS. So that's what pains me is uh, to, uh, yeah. Oh, no to, to think kidding. Of Needless to say, I still have that one. That's not one that really? I'm going to, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to give that to a McKay so they can put it out for three <laughs> bucks on their, you know, on their use. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to that one. If I paid 80 bucks for it, I'm going to. Yeah, uh, but but now you've got that amazing got definitive Ford, DVD I know, edition. I know, you know, I hear you, which did, which cost about a third of the 80 bucks I spent for the VHS. No but, kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, see, the, the horrible thing is if you want to reminisce back that far, uh, there are a few movies I have owned on more than three video formats. I bet Planet of the Apes is one of them. No, strangely enough, it's not. Really? Only because I was not able to get... Well, let me explain. Mm-hmm. Before there were DVDs, at the same time that there were VHS tapes, there was the precursor to Laserdiscs. Not Laserdiscs. Oh, but video, video discs. Video discs. Oh, yeah, right. Which were these bizarre things, much like LPs. Mm-hmm. They were played with a needle, and they were you know half a movie mm-hmm. on each side. Yeah. And... We had video discs. When I was a youngster boy, we had video discs. Now, video discs, I actually owned a few of those damn things. I owned Blade Runner and The Road Warrior, and I think a couple of others. But we had a place near us where we could rent the things, so all you really needed was the player. I have owned Blade Runner uh, on video disc, on videotape, on laser disc. I never got one of the DVDs. I skipped the DVD of Blade Runner. Now I have the Blu-ray, of course. Wow, yeah. And, of course, the Blu-ray has, like, four versions of the oh, standard. Oh, I know. Film. Believe me, I bought the multi-disc DVD set, and I haven't even had a chance to watch it yet before it's out on, now it's on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let me tell you, oh. Sonny, I, I, had it on, I had it on Viewmaster. I bet you didn't have it on Viewmaster. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> We're gonna back up to Viewmaster. Oh, oh, the pain. The All right. Pain. So okay. Back to back, back to, to Landon's uh, I was wondering if maybe somewhere down the line there might be non-Nashy casts. You both seem to have a great amount of knowledge in the genre, and I would like to hear your thoughts on many subgenres. It has been demonstrated that you have a great love for Spanish films. How about the Italian and the Japanese? <laughs> well, there's, there's a funny story there. But yeah. back to back to Landon. Uh, from the Hardy Encyclopedia of Horror, I quickly learned that horror is definitely an international thing, with every corner of the world contributing. From the Vige, that's the Russian film, to Quaidan, yeah. that's mm, Japanese, awesome to Franco and Roland, I was pleasantly surprised years back when the Coffin Joe boom was taking place. Another corner of this planet heard from. I have seen a good share of his work, and while it is half good, half bad, it is great that he was doing it and trying to add his vision to the horror film history. 
I personally have a soft spot for Italian horror and Japanese <laughs> rubber monster flicks. Maybe I will take a hint from you and put a podcast together. <laughs> Landon, uh, does, okay. the word, does the word kindred spirit uh, yeah, ring you? Yeah, really. <laughs> First of all, the man sitting across from me, that would be Troy, has definitely got a rubber monster Japanese monster fetish yeah. unlike any you will ever see. Uh, he and another friend of ours we generally refer to as the Kaiju twins. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, he He's a Godzilla fanatic, has a shrine to the man in his house. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, when we record this at my my house, uh, if you can picture the setting, uh, is basically we're sitting right next to a five... Uh, Five shelf bookshelf that is literally crammed to the gills with uh, Godzilla <laughs> with Godzilla you know, figures. Uh, also, also have a filing cabinet where a bust of Godzilla that's probably about the size of the actual heads from the old Godzilla <laughs> costumes sort oh, of looms over us, looking staring balefully down upon us. So, so that should tell you right there that uh, that yeah, I, I know my I know my Japanese rubber monster flicks. And of course, we do both love dearly. Oh my gosh, Italian horror. So yeah. yeah. Let's just state right now. Oh, and also, yeah, Russian horror, the the few Russian horror films I've ever seen. Of course, Kaidan is brilliant film, brilliant mm-hmm. film. I, I guess we should state right up front that something we'll get to more in detail later on is that uh, we are going to branch out a little bit with our mm-hmm. next point five episode and talk about I Hate My Body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've already mentioned that in the uh, the point five episode that we yeah. that we just did. Yeah, we did. I, uh, many people have said they'd like to hear us do something else, and so yeah, we decided we don't really we don't because of the length of, of these Nashi casts and, and we don't really want to do it in quite the same format. Uh, you know, yeah. we're not going to be necessarily taking these films beat by beat. And, well, and, and also they're very our, hard to come by. Exactly. So. And so, uh, but we are going to devote shorter episodes to where we talk about uh, these films that are connected to Spanish horror and Paul Nashi and, and uh, just films that we brought up from time to time in our other podcasts yeah. that we are going to talk about. And, and hopefully everybody will enjoy those as much as they've enjoyed our, our regular podcast. Well, we'll, I'll keep, uh, of course, they'll always be uh, posted at the the Bloody Pit of Rod, and we're also going to keep them as .5 episodes, shorter episodes than the normal episodes, and .5 episodes, so that they're part of the regular feed for the Nashi cast, because these are films that are at least tangentially related to the Nashi films, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, it's fun to see the connections between them, and it's also fun to, to talk about these other films that he didn't necessarily have anything to do with. It'll allow us to kind of explore a bit more of Spanish horror in the 70s and the 80s. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. So... Thank you, Landon. And now we'll move on to another email. Ah, okay. This is uh, another email from Mark. He he just got through listening to the Panic Beats episode and, and was glad that we liked it. Uh, it wouldn't appear to be one of Nashi's more popular films, but I've enjoyed it every time I've watched it. In a way, I'm glad that it isn't sub... That it isn't... Oh, I'm glad that it is subtitled. I'll always opt for the dub if there's an option, but I can't find. But I find a film can often be a little more intense if you watch it with subs. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an '80s Nashy film I've seen that I haven't enjoyed. I know most people view the '70s as his golden period, and maybe they're right. But on second and third viewing, I find a lot of his later work to be stronger. Perhaps the simple fact that he was getting more resentful towards the film industry during these years made for more interesting films. He goes on to say, <laughs> couldn't agree more about Cannibal Terror. I find, <laughs> I find Eurocene films to be hit and miss at the best of times, but this one stunk my whole house out. <laughs> he says, good luck with Fury of the Wolf, man. I've watched it a couple of times, and I want to like it, but I haven't succeeded yet. My overriding memory is an, of an annoying-voiced man saying, pentagram, 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 pentagram over and over. Maybe I'll watch it again after I've listened to the podcast. Um, 
I, mean, I don't know. I don't that we're recommend, gonna recommend it, but it's itchy. It if you again. knock yourself out, if you won't, take if you really it. feel the need to do it, go ahead. Well, I, I wrote back to him and uh, thanked him for his kind words and told him that, uh, in my opinion, Nash's '80s work is filled with hidden and often overlooked depths, which do seem to come from his frustrations. This can make for some great films, but I still find his '70s work to be more fun to revisit. Uh, different flavors for different moods in my book. I'm not always in the mood for a dark beer, but I like the fact that they're there in the fridge to choose from. And uh, I told him, hey, I love the Eurocene stuff, but hit or miss might be too kind a description. Even their hits seem to need uh, extra willing suspension of disbelief to keep the eye rolling to manageable levels. Mm-hmm. Fun but poverty ridden is how one buddy speaks of their productions. And That's yes, a pretty good way to describe yeah. them. You know, when it comes to 70s and 80s films too, and this is just a purely aesthetic, uh, kind of uh, my own aesthetics is I just... Uh, I just love the look of 70s films more than 80s films. I love the the, the stock and the colors, and I, I think in a lot of cases, uh, the dreamlike quality of some of Nash's horror films early 70s, there's something about the colors of the 70s film stock, I think, just really adds to that a lot, and so that's just on a purely technical level right there. But, uh, yeah, certainly we're going to be doing plenty of his 80s films, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of quality in there. I, I agree, I agree. Okay, we're gonna draw the 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 mail uh, mailbag segment to a close here for just for for just a little while. We've got a couple more emails to read out, but we want to since we're gonna be doing uh, at least for the foreseeable future, we're gonna be doing at least two episodes a month. We're gonna mm-hmm. be doing a regular episode and a point five episode. Mm-hmm. Sanity um, and time permitting. That's that's why that's our goal. <laughs> yes, yeah, sanity and time permitting. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put that, man. Um, we're gonna we're gonna save a couple of emails for the next episode, and let's uh, let's talk about that really because briefly. yeah we need something to cleanse our palate after this one they did tonight, and I, I can't think of anyone anything better than what we got next for you. Well, for the next regular Nashy cast, we're going to uh, jump into. Actually, I can tell you right now, uh, it's one of my favorites. Mm. I absolutely love this movie, and uh, nothing pleases me more than finally getting to Hunchback of the Morgue. Yes. Our next episode, episode 14, will feature our discussion of Hunchback of the Morgue. I freaking love this movie, and I cannot wait to extol its virtues to the heavens because it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a fan of it as well. So. I, I have. I've, uh, I've only gotten to see it once. I thoroughly enjoyed it, too. I'm really looking forward to really uh, delving into it again. That's a bootleg that I've rolled through the disc player a few times, i yeah. got to tell you. Yeah. Right and now. Now, it's a, now it's available in a nice DVD, which I actually think yeah. is not even out of print. I think it's actually still in print. Oh, that's so true. We're, we're, yeah. doing, we're, from, we're finally doing another film, which, which is actually pretty easily available. So we're going to be doing uh, Hunchback in the Morgue for uh, episode 14 of the Nashi Cast. Before then, you should hear from us with our next point five episode. It'll be 13.5. We'll be doing uh, a brief look at Leon Klamowski's film, I Hate My Body. Mm-hmm. As, we, as we mentioned in the, the last episode, uh, that one is available, uh, the English dubbed version, through Something Weird. Mm-hmm. So uh, dive into that if you if you if you really are really interested, go hunting there, and you can get your hands on a copy and check it out. We won't be doing an in depth scene by scene look at I hate my body, but we will be doing a a look at it, a review of it, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. A lot, there's a lot to talk about in that movie, and it's got a lot of interesting things. Uh, that's worth your time. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've not seen it yet. I can't wait to watch it. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, also, one other thing we'd like to bring oh, yes, up real quick. Yes. The uh, the latest issue of uh, the magazine Horror Hound, uh, issue 27, I had to pick it up. I don't pick up every issue of Horror Hound. Yeah, but, but this uh, would be hard to put down with that incredible cover of Vincent Price. Yeah, there's a great painting by uh, Daniel Horn. Of Vincent Price on the cover, the 100 Greatest Names in Horror of the Last 100 Years is the feature article, but there's also a really great in-depth look at uh, Vincent Price and his career. A lot of nice stuff. They they go into uh, 
his uh, everything from his uh, his cooking book, his cookbooks, and uh, uh, books on art and things like that, as well as his uh, his horror career. And uh, I haven't really gotten a look at this, but you have is the the hundred greatest names in horror yeah. of the last hundred years. Yeah, and uh, they they uh, named Vincent Price Vincent number Price one. Was number one. I won't argue with that. Uh, Boris Karloff, Stephen King, Lon Chaney, Bela Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr., Christopher Lee, H.P. Lovecraft, George Romero, Peter Cushing. That rounds out the top ten. That's I would have been 10. I would have been very pissed if H.P. Lovecraft had not been in the top ten. So I'm happy that they put him in there. Well, the reason that anybody makes these lists is to is to cause arguments. Oh, it's all and subjective. Debates. Yeah, I mean, it's no, all I mean, subjective. Well, I mean, I think you and I both would have moved Paul Nashi up higher. But you know, subject objectively looking to yeah. to it, I mean, I think I think we can all be happy that uh, Paul Nashi did make the list. He's at number 73. Number 73 in the 100 top names in horror, and I think that's uh, something he'd be proud to know. But, you know, just a quick look at this list. I'm trying to figure out why Donald Sutherland is, for, is at 43. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many I horror know. films was Donald Sutherland in? For uh, yeah, I know. I mean, he was in some good ones, but uh, but he's not exactly early in his career. Yeah, yeah like I mean, uh, like uh, he's, uh, he's, Don't Look Now and all that. But I mean, you can't. Well, yeah, but, okay. But, you Don't Look Now, Doctor Terror's House of Horror. Yeah, but but he's higher than Donald Pleasance. Uh, yeah, I don't see that. I'm afraid. I, I I don't either. And he's higher than Dan O'Bannon, the man who co-wrote Alien and directed Return of the Living Dead and. It's like you said, the list is there to piss us off. Yeah, it's, and they're it's doing there a good to cause job. debate. So, Damn them. nevertheless, no, the <laughs> latest issue of Horror Hound, issue number 27, with Vincent Price on the cover, uh, has a Paul Nashie mention. Yeah. So, yeah. just thought we'd draw that to your attention. And uh, I guess that wraps up I this episode. I believe it does. I believe it does. Thanks for listening, folks. And uh, until uh, till, uh, next time, uh, be sure and hang on to your chemotrodes. Don't, don't forget to visit the Bloody Pit of Rod and to drop us some email at nashicast at gmail.com. <laughs> this is, so this is Rod Barnett. This is Troy Gwynn. Signing off and saying, hey, go watch a Spanish horror movie. You'll be glad you did. Bye.